Episode 95 is finally here. I have been waiting so long, Hotshot Scott. <laughs> 95 episodes, in fact. Yes. Yeah. I've been waiting 95 episodes. <laughs> I knew at about 10, 11, or 12 yeah. that 95, when we get to 95, if we get to 95, if we're fortunate enough to last until 95, that episode 95 was going to be our very most mediocre show of all the ones that we do i've been waiting for 95 that's a bar that i like that's about where i am the way things have changed in our lives the last three or four months the news i guess it was last friday that we've entered phase 1.5 yes we have the excitement level (laughs) of restaurants and people within the community people having celebrations that the state of Washington or King County. I don't know if it's just King County. I guess it's just King County. Well, I think it's county by county because right. some counties are in two, and I don't really yeah, know how well, it we're, works. We're, we're lagging behind in King That's County. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 1.5, which means restaurants, if they want to, can open inside seating for up to 25% capacity, outside seating up to 50% capacity. That's the biggie. I know in your family, you guys are talking haircuts and hair color oh, and yeah. what we're going to do, what we're going to do to celebrate and welcome phase 1.5. First of all, it's great to see you. And as I check Twitter, neither of us have been canceled, <laughs> unlike a lot of people out there. So that's a good start. Who's been canceled? Uh, Jake Fromm. Oh, I don't know about Jake. Fromm. Oh, boy. Yeah. The, He's been canceled? canceled. What does that mean? Just, He's been canceled. Well, he said something racist, and now, I mean, he's uh. just going to be a pariah. And then there, are, I got to get this guy's name. He was uh, plays at Oregon State. An Oregon State player. Was, Jake Fromm, meaning the, the Georgia quarterback who yep. beat out Jake Eason for the job. That's The him. former Little League baseball star who was in the Little League World Series from like somewhere flowery something Georgia. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that Jake, Jake Fromm. Fromm. He's in trouble. Yeah, he sent some texts and then the Isn't person, he in the NFL now? Yeah. Oh, no. Right. Yeah, he's on a team. Oh, no. Yep, I know. Uh, Rocco Carley, some Oregon State football player, oh, sent some super racist tweets. Some oh. some guy at a, at a car dealership down in Portland I saw has been gotcha. canceled. So we haven't been, which is the good news yet. But the, I know the night is young. Well, the good <laughs> thing about having no listeners is that we could say something <laughs> stupid and no one will know. Especially, yeah. No I mean, one will ever realize that we've said something stupid. Yeah, right? Twitter, Twitter. That's where people are getting, getting yeah, busted. Yeah, I'm being very careful. Yeah. When I have a, you know, a shot of whiskey which I never have had a shot of whiskey, <laughs> right. but what I, I'll just pretend. When I have the bourbon yes. uh, the other night, I stay off of Twitter. It's probably smart. I, I tweet at least 25% less yeah. when I'm on bourbon than I do when I not. It's a good move. But 1.5 means haircuts for my... Haircuts. Which I, Are haircut places now open? Is that now... Yes, but at a limited... 1.5? Limited capacity for right. one person at a time, I think, in the salon. In the or, entire salon, one person at a one time? One person, I think, per... I, I don't know. It's It just seems like it's very... Are you eager to go get your haircut? Not at all. Not in the slightest. Is I don't Piper care. eager to go get her haircut? Not at all. Okay, so this is about your wife. Yeah, but she wants us to get haircuts. Oh, well, tell her to mind her own business. Well, t- <laughs> typically I do, but then thinking about this person who cut... Oh. The same woman cuts all our hair. So we want to get her the business. And get, you know what I'm saying? So, I see. And my wife hasn't done anything at home to it, so she's freaking out. Well, I would think that everybody, well, maybe not. Maybe you're going to tell me not. I would think that a lot of people are having the conversation that the Levies are, and that is what's our strategy with restaurants? We have missed the ability to go as a family and sit down somewhere yep. inside. We, we, we have a tremendous thirst for that to just go somewhere and sit down and have a nice meal and no. not rush through it and be there but we don't know what to do we as a family as i've actually decided family i guess it's the two of us have 
have demanded that we're going to wait. We're holding off even in uh, even in phase 1.5. We've decided okay. to just hold off a little longer to see as restaurants open to 25% capacity, whether there's a spike, another return of the virus, if the numbers go up. We want to watch the early returns gotcha. of restaurants open. So we're not rushing, even though we want to, we're not rushing out yet to go to a restaurant. What are you, what are you guys going to do? Well, we drove by a little brew a little brew pub. It's a brewery in Snoqualmie. I drove by yesterday, and there's people outside enjoying themselves, having meals. So I, I think we'd be more open to sitting outside. As We'll try outside first. Oh, we... Yeah, definitely outside first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, th- I think we'd be open to outside. But I, I drove by a restaurant in Tacoma that's been there 40, 45 years yesterday, and they're out of business. So I hope that when people do start... Out of business. I know, uh, 40, 45 years. It's called yeah. Johnny's. People would know it from this area. It's been in Tacoma since I'm a kid. And yeah, yeah there, there's a lot that had to go out of business. So the ones that do come back, let's help them and support you know as, as many as we can to keep these people in business. When do you think you'll be ready to go sit inside <sighs> with your family of three, you know the old-fashioned restaurant experience. When, <laughs> right. when are you going to be ready to do that? Well, tell me what you and your wife decide when, when the returns come in, and then I'll just piggyback on oh, what you guys are okay, doing. So you're <laughs> kind of waiting to see. Yeah, kind of, but I, I think I'd be fine with outside. I think that would be... By the way, I went to bubble tea again with my daughter. Oh, we're back to bubble tea. First of all, you and, and I... And the waffle. And the waffle. Yeah. It's like the, Changing yeah. tires. Dunking, dunking the waffle in Oreo cream or something. <laughs> oh, that's, uh, God, that sounds delicious. And well, gross. <laughs> right. At the same time. You and I need to buy one and just, it's just printing buy money. Buy what? A bubble tea? A bubble tea place. Oh. A restaurant. Really? You buy it, I'll run it. I'll have nothing to do in three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the perfect candidate. Throw your money oh, in. They're just printing three money. Three weeks. Packed. You're down to three weeks. I'm down to three weeks, yeah. yeah. How's that going? Uh, well, you know, I'm not the greatest time to be out there looking for a job. Me and 40 million of my friends are <laughs> all looking oh, for jobs. So I don't mean to laugh. Yeah. If I don't laugh, oh, I'll well, cry. Yeah, exactly. How are you guys doing with all that? Uh, Stress, anxiety. Yeah. It's not my first time I've had to go through this. So I, you know, I've been let go before. Yeah. Um, but you know, no chance that they'll change their mind. No chance that they'll be rejuvenated in the way they look at Forza. No chance that they'll move you somewhere else. I mean, what, what, what can I do? Is there anything? Can I make any calls? Because I know people want to hear from me. They trust me. Well, <laughs> Mitch, call your, getting, yeah. call your buddy Balmer and see if he needs a pool boy or something. Oh, I, can, I, see. I can live on his property and yeah. take care of it. No, I, mean, there, I suppose there's a chance they could extend me. I mean, yeah, it's, it's really unique circumstances right now. And trying, yeah. to, you know, trying to find a new gig is tough. So I'm sorry, anyway, I'm not trying to bum everyone out. Bubble tea. That's, that's our move. Going Bubble forward, tea. yes, we're going to buy one. Mitch Unfiltered is available on most podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. We want you to subscribe. We want you to, we want you to listen. We even want you to rate us because, as you know, this is the number one one-star podcast in all the United States of America. <laughs> yes, we're very We proud. are a great one-star. For once, as one-star podcasts go, yeah. we're right up there. Yep. We might have to change classifications and jump up to two stars one of these times, right. especially if some people start dealing us, you know, some four and five star ratings. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. right. Uh, become a patron by visiting MitchUnfiltered.com and clicking the little button that says become a patron. For $5 a month, you get the extra shows, including the full new show that will happen on Thursday. That'll be 95p. And I'm sure once we get to 95p, Hotshot Scott, I'll be saying something along the lines of, I have been waiting for 95p for months and months. <laughs> right. We want you to become a patron. Kind of like some of our most recent editions. We like to make fun of the names. Not make fun of the names. Yeah, yeah. But only one out of three is really going to work, I think. Okay. 
Justin Sartell is a new patron. Alex St. George is a new patron. And Derek Estrada. Ah, Derek Estrada. Estrada brings back a lot of memories, Oh, right? sure. His cousin Eric. <laughs> From Chip's fame. Oh, yeah. Oh. Now, the question is, who was the blonde guy? That's Wilcox? the question. Wilcox? No. There wasn't a guy named... John? Was it John Wilcox? You might be right. I may be making that up. That, that name just jumped into my mind when you asked. Right, I don't know. I never watched Chips. Did you watch Chips? Yeah, I was kind of young. I, I think I just liked the... I think I just liked the open... And I just, I don't know. I don't think I really knew what was going on, but I, I remember watching I don't know that I it. ever watched an episode of Chips. Find out what the, what the partner's name was. Eric Estrada got all oh. the headlines, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, all yeah. the girls. He got all the girls and all the headlines. I was thinking, what must it have been like to be, for instance, the Fonz in 1977? Oh. Like, to be Henry Winkler in 1977. I mean, people who did, weren't around then, was there anyone who could have got more women than Henry Winkler? <sighs> I wonder if he was married. I hope he wasn't married. I hope he got to enjoy being the Fonz. He, I know a little bit about Henry Winkler, and what I love about Henry Winkler is even back in the day where he played the Fonz, he's, he was about personally and individually the most opposite human being <laughs> that you could possibly be. He was so different than the character that he played. It yeah. is. I mean, all you, I mean, I know he's an older man right now. He's like 75 or whatever he is. Yeah. He's in his 70s, certainly. But if you can't, I mean, you, you listen to him for like 10 seconds and you're like, I can't believe that guy right. played the Fonz. <laughs> you look at him and yeah. you listen to him for like 12 seconds. Yeah. And I can recall the last time I was in Los Angeles with the family, we went to, we went to lunch somewhere. We we're all eating sandwiches and the Fonz walked right through the door. Really? And I got such a big kick out of it. And my kids are like, oh my God, dad, settle down. They thought I was like a group. I was like, yeah, you, yeah. Don't, you don't have any idea. Yeah. That man right there, he's wearing a pink like golf shirt and yellow pants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's just, I said, that guy was the Fonz. You don't understand. And you don't. Just, no. Not only just was he. blank looks. He was the coolest guy on the planet and the toughest guy. Remember, he would, he'd win every oh. fight. Like, if you if you needed help oh. at 5'7", 145. And he didn't summer. have to comb his hair. It was always perfect. How do you improve upon perfection? Yeah. It was always perfect. And he couldn't say he was sorry or that he was wrong. He would say, I, I, I was, yep. couldn't get it out. Yep. Or I'm, he couldn't, couldn't say sorry. He'd just snap and ladies would come running. Good to be him. So I've always Cunningham? wondered. <laughs> in my office. <laughs> the bathroom uh, at Arnold's was yeah, the office. Yeah. So oh. I always wondered if he got to enjoy himself. But Eric Estrada is another one who I'm sure had Did a nice. Did you find out what the name of the uh, partner was? What Not John Wilcox. Larry Wilcox. Is that true? Yeah, so nice work. Yeah. That was half right. What's all Larry doing these days? Let's get him on. Is he, al- God willing, he's alive. Yeah, I don't know. I don't he, know. Could be, he could be 80 years old right now. Was he? Oh, wait a second. We're going back to Estrada. Estrada's not that old, so he must not be that old. Yes, I, would I bet Estrada's older than you think he is, if you had to look it up, Chips. which I'm trying to do. Episode 95, we'll have three guests, Hot Shot Scott. I think you'll enjoy the variety of guests. We really should talk about Lavelle Moten, who was on the last episode of Mitch Unfiltered. Yeah. Not the not 94P, but 94, and got a lot of different reaction. Some of the reaction that we received actually led to a guest here on episode 95 because one of the people that reached out to me in the wake of the very emotional interview that I did with coach Lavelle Moten of North Carolina Central University and his his ordeal and experience with racial profiling and being I mean those stories you certainly have listened to it by now just want to make you sick right a retired local police officer by the name of David Crocker reached out to me he said I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener I'm a Mitch Unfiltered patron. Wow. I love the show. I'm a retired police officer, and I, I just want to offer the other side. 
I want to offer a different perspective. I want to offer you and your audience. I heard the Lavelle, the Lavelle Moton interview. It broke my heart as a former police officer. And I just would like to offer you a different angle and a different perspective to this story. The police angle and perspective. So I said, absolutely. Yeah, I'm curious to hear it. Yeah. He was so passionate, David Crocker was, about the Moton interview that when he sent me the email, no joke, he wrote, too much to type, listen to the attachment. I've never gotten an email like this where the person actually put his phone up to his mouth and then spoke for 10 minutes and oh, then wow. attached it to the email. It was like a, it was like a voicemail. Sure. He didn't have yeah, my yeah. number, so he <laughs> wanted to leave me. He said, I don't want to write this. I want to. And you could just hear... You could hear the emotion in his voice on this little attachment to the email. So I said to myself, self, I think David Crocker should be invited if he wants to come on. And he said, I do want to come on. I want to tell you my experiences as a police officer, the other side of the story. He said, but I would only ask one favor and one condition and that we don't identify my local police department because I love those guys. I still have people that I worked with there. Yeah. I, I don't I don't want this to be about them. I want it to be about me, my experiences, and just offer your audience a different perspective. So we'll do that you keep, on episode 95. You keep hearing that nobody hates bad cops worse than good cops because it gives every gives them all a bad name yeah so it sounds like he's one of them what did just... you think when you you when you and i are together last <sighs> well maybe no when we were together last for 94p you probably had already heard the lavelle moan did we talk about that on 94p I at think all we hit on it a little bit yeah it was it was it was tough it was a tough listen i i it was hard for me to listen going 20 miles under the speed limit put keeping his driver license driver's license up on the dashboard every time you get in your car you just wonder if you're going to get effed with i mean what kind of a life is that the story of his wife asking yeah. him to go 15 miles under the speed limit because she didn't need him getting pulled over yep. because he's black with the kids in the car and having an ordeal right in front of those kids that was heartbreaking to hear and yeah. I, I don't know that a guy like you or me can even relate to something like that yeah i get in my car i'm looking around for podcasts or music what am i gonna play i mean really <laughs> that's like, your that's the big decision that you right, got to make right, right? a little bit different than the decisions he was making that's right and yeah. i know how i mean i think you even said it in the interview when when, a, when i get pulled over or a cop just pulls behind me i freak you do out. of course you i, I don't hotshot scott i even turn, tough guy football player I, I even well they have a gun and i don't i even turn the music down like i'm in footloose like i'm gonna get in trouble for that for some did reason did you sense <laughs> that when i said that to moton on the interview during the did you hear did you hear me kind of feeling i was feeling a little insecure admitting that i i, I don't know whether other people have that same feeling i don't know why i could be driving 30 miles an hour yep. in the right hand lane which is not often but i could be <laughs> driving 30 miles an hour in the right hand lane and or 45, you know, well under the speed limit, and a police car, I see a police car like in my rear view mirror or on the side mirrors. Yeah. I don't know why. My heart, my, my, I just get stressed. Yep. I just, I get flushed with like nervousness, like, oh my God, what did I do? Yep. And, you know, to admit that, I mean, to, to have to deal like he had to deal with yeah. it, or, you know, like, like African-Americans have to deal with that type of treatment is just hard to understand and comprehend. It's take, ridiculous. Take you and I stress and multiply it times 100 every time you get in the car. You don't know, you seriously don't know if you're going to come back alive. I mean, that, that's, that's what you're up against. So, yeah, I, I can't I can't relate to that. It's terrible. We'll hear from David Crocker, who reached out to us, a, a retired police officer here uh, locally in the state of Washington. Greg Thor Godar. Now, you won't know that name. Gregory Thor. He likes to be called Thor. He doesn't okay. want to be called Greg. 73 years old on a pleasant hike with his wife in Idaho two Fridays ago. <laughs> OK. And in an instant. 
snap of the fingers, he looks up, and he's being stared at by a 450-pound grizzly bear Oof. 20 feet away, and then the bear says, uh-uh, and comes charging at him and attacks him, and he lives to tell the story. Wow. And the sense of humor in this Now, maybe this guy just got a great sense of humor because he's so appreciative to be alive right now. Yeah. He was attacked by a 450-pound oh. grizzly bear who thought they were there to harm the, the grizzly bear's cubs. Oh, they, oh, there was cubs around. Yeah, yeah that's, that's when it typically happens, they say. Oh, my God. Not good. So. Wow. 25 minutes he'll tell his story on this episode of, of Mitch Unfiltered. They always tell you that. And he to, does it in a very fun-loving, humorous way. I'm glad he has a sense of humor he about sure it. He sure does. He sure does. They I always tell you, you to get big. I don't really know what that means to get. I mean, the thing is. We talked about it. Okay. If it's 11 those, feet tall. There's a lot of urban myths on what you do when a grizzly bear comes your way. Okay. I, yeah. I, I've heard with grizzlies, you can climb because they can't. Black bears could climb, so you run or play dead. I don't know. It's all confusing. You're getting me into a position where you're going to make me give away part of the interview. Uh, I don't want I don't, to, no. I don't want to give away okay. part of the interview. I'll listen. Let's just put it this way, Hotshot. The next time you face off with a 450-pound oh. grizzly bear yeah. who's a mama bear who's mad that you might be threatening her kids. Yeah. Kids. Um, don't run. Okay. Don't try to run away. That's yeah. probably not going to work According out for me. According to Mr. Mr. Gore, Mr. Thor, sorry. Jeez. Don't try to run away. What a crazy story. Yeah, you don't want to run away. All right. All right. I'm writing that down. Don't run from grizzly bear. Gotcha. Anyway, uh, Thor Godar will tell his story about what happened about 10 days ago when a grizzly bear attacked him in Idaho on a trail. And then our third interview will be Sonic's legend and new Hall of Famer, Jack Sigma. Oh, great. I thought of Jack. Well, I think of Jack all the time. Jack and I play a little bit of golf together. Mm -hmm. But when Wes Unsell died the other day and you and I talked about him on 94P uh, for the patrons, I thought Wes Unseld, Washington Bullets, Two consecutive NBA finals against the Seattle right. Sonics. Who went up against him? Well, Jack Sigma did. And then I thought, geez, we haven't visited with Sigma since he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And we haven't visited with Sigma since the Jordan series was aired. And Sigma is, by the way, one of the guys that gets posterized by <laughs> oh, number 23. Yes, he is. When he's in Milwaukee. It's a long line of people, but yes, yeah. he is one and of I them. And I thought maybe we'd chat a little bit about that. Nice. If he's okay with that. So Jack Sigma will join us here on episode 95 as well. I thought his speech was great, by the way, if you haven't watched it. I have not seen his speech. The Hall of Fame speech. I thought Really? Was, yeah, I thought it was good. And it was a little self-deprecating with his hairstyles. He went through some pretty <laughs> some pretty funny hairstyles. <laughs> the perm and then the completely straight. Oh. And so yeah, no, I thought it was good. Good for him. There's actually a trivia question. And I don't know that I have it in front of me. Let me see if I can find it really, 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 really quickly. I may not be able to because I may not have it on this sheet of paper. Uh, An I NBA don't. trivia question. An NBA trivia question, which I love. I'll, I, I ask it to, to Sigma because he's okay. part of the answer. It's an unbelievable question. Oh, really? Yeah. Because I had one for you yeah. actually today, which is weird. Oh, you want to do it before we start the show? You want to do it after we start the show? We haven't uh, started the show yet. Oh, well, let's start the show and I'll, I'll hit you okay. with it. All right. So three guests, episode 95 plus a, another stuff segment coming up. Let's do it. Episode 95 doesn't start without a few words about our partners like the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. Call 425-250-3150. Low interest rates, buying and refinance opportunities 
3% on 30-year fixed mortgages, three top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone, Jordan Flowers and his all-star team at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Evergreen golf call. The market surged dramatically last week with the reopening of the economy and some optimistic news in the unemployment numbers. Finally, CEO Tyler Hay will be with us here on episode 95. Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Sign up for their fine newsletter, which is free. Offices all over the West Coast, headquartered here in Bellevue. Evergreen Golf Call, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Zeke's Pizza, they're open. They're open, all 17 locations. We can finally go back to Zeke's Pizza. Only 25% occupancy for inside seating. You know that Zeke's Pizza also delivers if you're not ready to go back right now. Growlers right to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app, pay in advance, tip in advance, delivery right to your door from Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. And Daniels Broiler, CEO Lindsey Schwartz makes his Mitch Unfiltered debut right here on episode 95 with phase 1.5 upon us. Daniels Broiler Leshy now open and the weekend activity was nothing short of amazing. Even at the allowed 25% maximum, people racing to Daniels Leshy to celebrate special occasions that they had during the quarantine or Mother's Day and supporting a stalwart in our community for the last 40 years delivery and pickup also available at Daniel's Leshy just a matter of time before the three other world-class Daniel's broiler locations open their doors episode 95 I've got a good feel starts right now unfiltered there's one guy i'm done i'm od'd on i don't want to hear him i don't have any interest in listening to what he has to say in between the lines and he wears number 25 for the san francisco 49ers i'm done i've heard plenty from him if we could just if we could mic everybody else i'm okay i've heard all i need to hear from richard sherman unfiltered 98 percent of all the people that have had connections to the military have said to me we actually not only are we not offended by knees during the national anthem that's exactly what we're fighting for we're we're fighting so that Colin Kaepernick can do just that and voice his opinion in a peaceful manner Mitch is unfiltered The official start, Hot Shot Scott, of episode 95. Did you think about on the way on the way over any famous number 95 jump into your mind? You're sort of smiling, so I'm yeah, guessing. It's, uh, not, it's not great. It's even, not a great selection. I didn't remember that it was 95 till I got here. Then I was like, okay, who's the best? And I got nothing. You got nothing. I got nothing, really. Well, here's the encouraging thing. Okay. That 95 is the number before 96. Yes, it is. And next week will be episode 96, which should be episode Tez. Yeah, Cortez Kennedy. Cortez Kennedy, who left us way, way too soon. Do you remember him at Miami? I mean, were you... Oh, of course. Yeah. Of course. Who was the other Miami defensive lineman who passed away? Brown. Jerome Brown? Jerome Brown. Yeah, they were best... I think they were buddies. Is that right? I think the Miami guys are all... We're all buddies, but we lost Cortez Kennedy way too soon. But no, you would think that episode 96, I have not looked ahead at 96, if there's anybody that will rival Cortez Kennedy, but I would think that we would lean heavily yeah. towards Tez. God, he played on some crappy teams. But and we'll, we'll, we'll reserve that conversation for okay. next week. 
We got 95, and I don't have much for 95. You want the greatest Washington Husky to ever wear ni- ni- number 95? You yes, may not even remember him. He, he played when I was here. I was actually in town in 1999. All-American, six foot six, 285-pound nose tackle. A guy by the name of Jabari Issa. That name is that the name? Do, am I pronouncing it right? I Issa? think Jabari Issa. Yeah. Jabari Issa. Yeah. Jabari Issa. I may have played with him on the East Side Hawks. Oh, really? There was a really big defensive lineman. Do who you would, not know your teammates? Well, and, and this is like a Ricky Henderson story. No, you no. know the famous Ricky Henderson story? I, I do. Yes. <laughs> That's weird. I'm not sure that it's true. I, I don't know that it is I either. Know, but it's a great story. And I don't, I don't want it to not be true. The John Olerud Ricky it's Henderson hilarious. story. Yeah. But this league I played in, you got to yeah. remember, guys would just show up for games. <laughs> like there was no practicing. They just they would just pluck really good players and they yeah, would just show up. Yeah, but you should and, know if Jabari Issa, yeah. uh, an All-American. Yeah, maybe it wasn't him. If he was all American, he was in an all American. Yeah. He, he was like a, an NFL draft trade. He played the NFL. Okay, then it wasn't him. I got the wrong okay. guy. All right, all right, all right. He wore ninety five. Okay, episode Issa. You can go that way. Uh, by the way, his coach in nineteen ninety nine, I believe, was Jim Lambright. And there, the, there is some. I have some feeling because I did a little search that Jim Lambright both played for the University of Washington and wore nineteen. And I keep saying nineteen. Wore ninety five. <laughs> Also ah. wore the same number as Jabari Issa. So there's Jim Lambright. The greatest Seahawk of all time to wear 95 is, a, I would say, a little-known linebacker who played four years in the 90s, start, actually played six years, started for four years okay. for the Seahawks, named Dean Wells. Yes. Yeah, is that Holmgren's guy? Was that a Holmgren-era guy? I think before Holmgren. Okay. Might have, maybe he overlapped with Holmgren, but I think you have him more of a Dennis Erickson Ah, uh, okay. Linebacker that ran around in the kingdom a little bit. Now, did big old Sam Adams wear 95? No, I don't. Well, I, um, I don't think so. I think I would, I think I would have found that oh, in the yeah. research. My, I, I think he wore 98, 97, 98, 99. Okay. I don't know. We'll get, we'll, get to, we'll get to him. Anyway, those are the local yokels. Tez next week. Just, yeah. just be patient for Tez. <laughs> right. I, I think the greatest 95s on a national level were probably Greg Lloyd, who wore 95, I think, for the Steelers Steeler, for a yeah. while. Good pass rusher. Um, Richard Dent had to be the greatest 95 of any athlete. The most accomplished 95 of all time. He was he was on that 85 Bears team. He played 15 years in the NFL. He went to the Hall of Fame in 2011. Yeah. He was actually, little known fact, he was actually the MVP of that Super Bowl when they beat up on the Patriots. They were supposed to play the Dolphins. Yeah. Dolphins... The Dolphins could have given us the greatest well, Super Bowl of all time. Like, I told you Like this. the most hyped Super Bowl. The most watched Super Bowl. Because yeah. I think their Monday night football game with the Bears that same year where they the only team to beat the Bears. <laughs> yes. I think that was for the longest time, maybe still, the highest rated television rated oh. a Monday night football game of all time. And we were set for the rematch. The Bears and the Dolphins, Marino against that defense after the first time around. They were set for the rematch, and oh. the Patriots came into the Orange Bowl as like 15-point underdogs as a wild card team with no business. Tony Eason and, and Grogan, Grogan with and, the neck oh thing. Oh, my God. The, the Killer Beast couldn't handle Steve Grogan? Oh, my God. Ugh. God. Awful. That we had so the great. rematch ready yep. with the fridge and Walter Payton. and that Perfect. Old, yeah. yeah. But anyway, Richard Dent was the Super Bowl MVP that year. Played 15 years. Had 17 sacks for that 85 Jeez. Bears team. Was the MVP of the Super Bowl and went to the Hall of Fame. He's probably the most accomplished. There's another 95 who harkens memories for me for other reasons. Okay. But if you're old enough to remember, you might, you might recall a guy by the name of Bubba Smith. 
Police Academy Bubba Smith? See, you know him as an actor, Bubba That's Smith. That's right, Big he Bubba was, Smith. This yeah. Big Bubba Smith was wore number 95 for Michigan State. He was the number one pick as a defensive player, huge wow. defensive player in 1967, my birth year. Okay. The number one overall pick was Bubba Smith. Went on to have a pretty good NFL career. Not a great, great NFL. But then, for some odd reason, like, took to acting. And he ended up in commercials. Yeah. And, Commercial I'll mention in here in a second, well, but police academy. I was not a police academy. Were you a police academy guy? Love he it. was in six police academies. Saw it in the theater. Uh, played, the pl- played, he played the role of Moses Hightower well, in he, police academy. Steve Gutenberg's character was trying to teach Hightower how to drive. And it was this little, the smallest car they could find, right? <laughs> and of course, Hightower couldn't fit, so he just... Pulled the front seat out, <laughs> chucked it on the street, and sat in the back seat. I thought, oh, wow, that's Police a lot of strength. Academy. Yeah, that was. I loved that movie. You did? It's. I mean, it's. I think it was '84. I'm 10, 11. I mean, it's. It's got it all. Swearing. It's got nude. It's the most inappropriate movie of all time. And I'm a kid, so I'm sure. It. I'm sure it doesn't it. hold up now. If I were to watch it, couldn't be as good as Porky's back in the day. Well, Porky's was a revelation when I was here. We were just talking about it the other day. Yeah, but Porky's had that weird dark angle of the anti-Semitic. Do you remember that whole thing? I should. You it, should. I, but I don't. Yeah, it, it wasn't all just straight comedy, even though it had some, some good it parts. It was raunch. It was. Uh, what I remember is every kid my age, like 14. Yeah. We're trying to go see Porky's. I had to wait till v- we, we, VHS. We, 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 we were, you know, we, that, that, I think Porky's was the invent and the start of buying a ticket for one movie and trying to slip into the gotcha. other one. Because in, the truth is, I'm not that old, but I am kind of old. I, I remember when the theaters were only one, it was only one movie in a theater. And I remember when it went to like six and eight the and 12. Yeah. yeah. And when it did, that's yeah. when Porky's became an option. <laughs> now, Porky's and Fast Times came out about the same time. Yeah. Were, were you excited to see that as much as yeah, Porky's? Yeah. Now, Porky's. That was me, the one. To, Porky's was a legend. For me, yeah. for our, our generation, everybody wanted to see Porky's. Everybody wanted to see I had to wait till VHS and watch it with my parents. But when I think of. Oh, no good. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's no good. When I think of Bubba Smith. <laughs> yeah. I'm hopeful this is not completely out of your... Now, we're separated by how many years? I was born in 74. So, so seven, seven years. Seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may just be... This this reference may just be in my wheelhouse, but out of yours. You may, may be just too young to remember specifically the Miller Light beer commercials. Oh, no. I totally the campaign, remember it. The less filling... Tastes great, less filling commercials. Tastes great, less filling was a huge part of my life. Oh, my God. Every sporting event had oh multiple commercials in it. Of course I remember that. <laughs> And I know that you've had this type of experience, but as I was preparing for the show and I saw that Bubba Smith wore 95, I started just daydreaming about my youth, <laughs> yeah. about these commercials. And I went back and I looked. I was like, how many of these things were there? You remember, again, there's a lot of people that don't remember this, and I won't, I won't, I, I won't belabor the point, but okay. this was a series of 200 commercials. Wow. This campaign, Miller Lite, tastes great, less filling. <laughs> yeah. Less filling tastes great. It, it had two, they had 200 different shows and every show had like celebrities, athletes, superstars, oh, yeah, actors. Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield was a huge, was a huge part of it. I mean, Bob Euchre jumps Bob, into my oh, mind. Bob Euchre, Bob Euchre made a, a name for him. So, you know, he okay. was such a nothing catcher and hitter. Right. They made fun of him. I must Bob be Uecker. in the front row. I right. still that's, say that's to this day. That, well, he, <laughs> they all had recurring. <laughs> so they all had characters. Road. They all, they all played themselves. Okay. And there were like 50 of them or 100 of them. Yeah. But they would reappear in, in commercial. It was, like a, it was like a TV show. The right. commercial was like, you're like, okay, who's going to be in the next one? And so forth. <laughs> Euchre, a perfect example. Euchre, his first one was like, 
he's talking about, hi, I'm Bob Euchre. And he was at a ball game and he's sitting in pretty good seats and the authorities come by in the middle and interrupt him and said, sir, you're in the wrong seat. And he says, I must be in the front row. Must be in the front row. Yeah, yeah. And the next thing you see after taste, you know, you know, everything you always wanted a beer and less, he's up as far as you could right. be as nose far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nose <laughs> and, and he just totally made fun of his career. And that made, that made the legend that is Bob Euchre. They had a celebrity Miller Lite softball game in one of the commercials the less the less filling team against the taste screen they had all these kind of yeah. these little wars and uh it, it came down to 50 it was 15 to nothing in the last inning and billy martin who was in the commercials right. it's like okay so uh, 15 nothing we can bring our reliever and he's not going to blow this and he calls to the bullpen and he grabs his tie and does ah, this. Gotcha. He's calling for Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah. So Don, Dangerfield comes in in the softball game up 15 nothing, and they just start lighting him up with two outs. So just lighting him up. And it, it gets to 15-15. Yeah. The score of the game is 15-15. Rodney's now giving up 15 runs and two outs. And Frank Robinson, legendary baseball sure. player, Hall of Famer Frank Robinson, looks down his bench because a female is now due up. One of the female actresses that's been in the commercials okay. on that team is due up. And he, he's like, he looks down the, down, the, down the bench. He's like, do I have any pinch hitters left? And Euchre's face comes out and he goes, I'm ready. And everybody turns to the girl and goes, no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's just fantastic. That's and awesome. John Madden's <laughs> always like, Busting through the wall yeah, or busting yeah. through. I'll, I'll even play you one. Okay. I'll even play you one. So they establish. So most of these commercials would have one or two, two or one or two actors or uh, athletes or whatever, and they established everybody. And then in the later years of the commercial series, they started having these battles, like gotcha. the softball battle. So the compilation. The one, the one that stand, Bubba Smith. So Bubba Smith wore ninety five. The reason I'm I don't even know how I got on this. Well, this is what we, we do. Okay. <laughs> Bubba Smith. Bubba Smith was in a series of things with Dick Buckus. They played croquet once. They come in after uh, after a tennis match once. Boy, those two, two in guys. a fist fight. Whoa, p- take your pick, right? I mean, yeah. two of the toughest. So guys these ever. two guys are great, and, and and in one of them, Bubba Smith, this huge hulking of a human being, is talking about how. You know, I'm Bubba Smith, and when I played defensive line, I the way I the way I took care of opposing teams' offenses was I grabbed everybody in the backfield and I just started tossing guys out until I found the guy with the ball. <laughs> That's probably pretty. And, and then his catch, the catch of his is, I love Miller Lite. It tastes great and it's less filling. But what I really love are the easy opening cans. And he open he takes his hand and instead of flipping it open, yeah, yeah. he crush he just pulls the top pulls half. the top off i love the easy opening can't can't so okay so fast forward it's a simpler time we couldn't do they'd have to this have a warning so they'd have to These have a warning please don't do this at home honest to god <laughs> you waited for the next one there were 200 you know a campaign of commercials normally like seven or eight there were 200 yeah. over years we waited for the next commercial you loved these commercials so uh, so I think you'll get a kick out of this one. I got the audio of one from 1982. You were... I am eight years old. Eight years old. I'm 15. Okay. I'm 15 but I'm, years I'm old. watching TV, I mean, okay. all the time. And they have a beer match between... the, And it was always a big fight between... Le, which is Miller Lite... Is the best part of Miller Lite that it tastes great? Yeah. Or is the best part of Miller Lite that it's less filling? And there's less filling, tastes great, less filling. Yeah. Tastes, it was always an argument. So they wanted to settle it. In this, go ahead. You were going to say yeah, something? Yeah, so if, if, let's say Bubba Smith was always taste great. So do you think that they were smart enough to keep it, to keep him on the taste great side? He, I'm wondering, yes. so he never did both, I don't I, think. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I followed the allegiances. <laughs> 
But here, well, I'm just curious. So they had a bowling match okay, that tastes right. great. And you got to go back. I'll post this on. I'll post. I already did. I actually posted it on Twitter earlier in the day. Maybe you just saw it. Maybe you did. But this, uh, this is just, this is just fabulous. I'll try to identify as you listen to the Please. sounds here. I'll try to identify the uh, the people that are in the, okay. in the commercial. Deacon's my name. And Deacon Jones. My game. Gutterball. Gutterball. John Madden. He bowls. Worth of strikes. Come on, three strikes and you're out. Billy we just won another round of lights. Tommy Heinz. Yeah, light sure tastes great. Red Arbor. Yes, oh, An umpire is going to bowl the ball the wrong way. There it is down there. Take your time. Eight ball in the pocket. Steve Miserat. This ball doesn't have any holes in it. Bubba. Yeah, it does. The score's all even. Last frame. Who's up? Rodney. Rodney! You gotta be a mistake. Hey, you kidding? It's a piece of cake. <laughs> All we need is one pin, Rodney. Ben Davidson. Yeah. Right down the middle. Hits the front pin and bounces on Rodney. Like beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer and less. We didn't get my turn yet. I'm gonna break this time. John Madden jumping, jumping, jumping through it. So amazing. By the way, that voice guy was great, too, at the oh, end. Oh, God. Perfect voice guy for that. Everything you've always wanted in a beer and less. Is that Don LaFontaine, do you think, the, the movie trailer I guy? I don't think so. But in I the world. Know. He made yeah, that I, famous. I it, might, it may be. All right. I well, don't I don't know what it is. Anyway. Great, great. I mean, Bubba Smith. When I saw the Bubba yeah. Smith War 95, and I just went on a 15-minute <laughs> crusade about the Miller Lite, the greatest set of commercials, if you're my age... You just got a great chuckle. Everybody who's my age or older just got a great chuckle out of those last 10 minutes. And everybody who's younger than you were bored out of their mind over the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and I'm sorry to all of you. Now, I don't want to cause a bunch of work for you, but maybe, yes. you know, we did the TV themes. Commercials. Best commercials might oh, be a fun 64. Are we 64. doing another one? <laughs> well, I, I have just something to think about. Yeah. But like great commercials. Like this would have to count as one, though. Not. Oh, right. Just There's one. so many like of best them. campaigns. There's got to be a ton that we're just forgetting about that we're so like, where's the beef and all those classic ones. That'd be kind of there, fun. There's, I'm telling you, there's nothing like this. There's <laughs> nothing. nothing. They had a golf match. Rodney is in all of them. Now, is, is Rodney always the foil? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, in, in the big matches they are. But, so you know, in yeah. 82, what was Rodney? Rodney Dangerfield had done Caddyshack. I'm trying. Was, was he a big star in 82? Rodney? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I, I mean, I, I don't I don't. I'm not good with years. Yeah, I don't know yeah. when back to school was. Yeah, or... I'm just wondering if this maybe helped him a little bit being in these being in these ads, these spots. Kind of helped. That could help Euchre. I'm wondering if if this helped Rodney a little bit being in these. It, well, it, it may have. Okay. It may, it may have. But uh... yeah, I was wondering who Rodney Dangerfield was when I was a kid. Like, who's this goofy See, guy? Here's a regular one. Here's a regular one. Okay. You know, a lot of people think Billy and I argue all the time. Actually, we Stein agree Bennett. on just about everything, right, Bill? <laughs> you betcha, George. We even drink the same beer. Light beer from Miller. Light's got a third less calories than their regular beer, and it's less filling. And the best thing is it tastes so great. No, George, the best thing is less filling. No, Bill, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy? Yeah, George. You're fired. Oh, not again. <laughs> Light beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer, and less. Wow. I would love to know what Steinbrenner was paid to do that. I mean, that must have been a... T- is he a guy that needs the money? No. When was the last time you saw an owner in a commercial? Right, right. right? I mean, how much did they Miller have to Light. Pay? I yeah. mean, Miller Light. They, I mean, it got, it got to be so big, everybody wanted to be in them. It well, was I guess like, that yeah. helps, yeah. People uh, want to be part so, of it. so, so huge. <laughs> that's great. Okay. Anyway, let's get off. Hey, the Bubba Smith wore 95. Okay. That's, the, that's, my, that's my long story. Long story short, right. Bubba Smith wore... 
95. All we need is one pin, Rodney. Who's up? Rodney. <laughs> you just knew it was going <laughs> yeah, right? to be Rodney was up in a tie right, game. Right. No respect. Oh, None. God. All right, before we finish the first segment and we get to the three interviews and we got the other stuff segment, I know you got some stuff for you. Uh, should, we, should we touch on the Drew Brees stuff? We talked a lot about it on 94P back on Thursday's release. At that point, he had done the interview with Yahoo. Yeah. He uh, offended a lot of people. His tone was way off. Uh, I, I don't think it was necessarily what he thought the national anthem stood for, but it was his lack of empathy. It was his, I think the comment was, I will never agree with anybody who, right. uh, you know, disrespects the flag. That's and right. I think, and the whole world jumped all over him, including his teammate. I mean, it was really, this was a guy with, as I said on 94P, a pristine reputation. I mean, no one up until Wednesday last week, if I had said to you in sports, in all of sports, reputation, squeaky clean reputation, name some guys. Yeah. You would have said, I don't know, Tom Brady, Derek Jeter, Drew Brees. You would have mentioned Drew Brees yeah, as somebody Wilson. who just, Russell Wilson, yeah. universally loved, not, right. a, not a skeleton in the closet, and bam, this issue brings him uh. to Yahoo Sports or Yahoo Finance. He makes the comment, and you and I said, on 94p it's just a matter of time before he apologizes and when he does so our our inclination was he would do it the right way and that people because he's earned some equity along the way that most people would say we understand yeah and there was pictures of him kneeling with his teammates as well so, oh, I haven't seen those. Yeah, there's pictures of him kneeling for okay. for the, the anthem. He was during the anthem. He he know. Yeah, I didn't know he that. had his arms. Or, you know, he, so he he's clearly not a guy who's who's against that whole movement. He just yeah. sort of worded it wrong, and it really irritated. It kind of speaks people. to the issue, and I, I'm not making excuses for him because I don't I don't like or dislike Drew Brees, and I and I understand why everybody was at odds with what he said and how he said it, but it speaks to something that you kind of brought up on 94P, which is. You know, when you get into this kind of really sensitive, heated, everybody's on edge over something, you got to be careful the interviews you choose to do, and you better pick your words. You better be very, very careful because even somebody who's got a good heart, and I'm not saying the breeze is, I'm not, again, I'm not, I am not defending him. Please don't, I don't need the letters. I'm yeah. just saying that it's a dicey, you, you, you choose to start speaking out when, when, sensitivities are as heightened as they are and were, you better be very careful with what you say and how you say it. That's right. People are going to offend a lot of people a lot of ways. We've talked about people are getting crushed and canceled every day on Twitter for saying the wrong thing. And we, we had a laundry list of people in 94P, all kind of, you know, the Napier and all those people for just giving their opinion. It, people weren't yeah. really on board with it. And now they're just done. So now the question that everybody's asking, some people are excusing Breeze just letting him off the hook. Others are not. Others are saying, hey, you spoke the way you really mean. And then there's that group in the middle that are like, "Mm, is he apologizing because he truly feels that it didn't come out right or he feels something different? Or is he apologizing because he's now seen the social media backlash and all the people that are angry with him like his teammates? Is is he being forced to apologize? How genuine are the statements now of apology? That's the question. Well, I think, like you said, he's earned some equity as a good guy. Yeah. And I, I, you know, people are saying, I mean, even his wife came out and said, we've, you know, we claim we are part of the problem. We realize that now. So I think showing some vulnerability will sort of help. I think that'll help both of them. Yeah. It was the lack of empathy, clearly, that got him in trouble. But he went on to talk about what he thinks. And I, and I've listened to it a couple of times, what he thinks about when the anthem is playing. And I thought maybe... 
I thought maybe we could discuss that for just a second because I, I'm curious. I, I, my guess is, is that everybody thinks about something different during the anthem. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we all think about the same thing every time. Right. Because there's like, I've got like, I wrote down like five or six things that go through my head okay. depending upon the mood that I'm in. That's right. Some days I think about this, some days. What do you, when you're at a, and I know you played, so you remember the anthem when you played. Yeah. When you're at a Seahawks game, the anthem comes on, uh, you stand up at your seat, probably uh and it starts it goes for two minutes and you're left with your kind of your innermost thoughts what are those thoughts for you well i'm nervous about the game that's about to start because it's a team i root for so that's that's going on yeah it, but it depends i i think the anthem meant more to me after 9 11 i thought a little more about it after sure I, I mean i think we all did yeah um when there's a flyover that gets me and then i start thinking about the military and people sacrificing for us and i always think about i'm so lucky to live in this country I at least think about that. I, I, don't, I don't come from a military family. My dad didn't Neither serve. Do, nor do I. Okay. My, my grandpa was in World War II. I think most of our grandpas served. Yeah. But So I don't, I don't come from that family, and I, I probably should think about it a little more, but I always think, boy, am I glad I'm American. I, I feel lucky. That almost always goes through my mind, yeah. how lucky we are to be living in the United States. And that, that song playing in the background, and if it's a good rendition, if somebody who's really belting it out, yeah. that really kind of helps. Uh, yeah. It really depends. Certain days, I'll admit it, certain days during the anthem, I'm thinking about the pass rush. Right. Can the Seahawks That's right. Can the Seahawks knock down the opposing team's quarterback? Or I'm thinking about going to the bathroom. I'm thinking about something that I shouldn't be thinking about. I'm just kind of singing the song. Other times, very often, my mind wanders to, I'm lucky to be in the country. And I can say that even though I'm not part of a family that has a military background or influence, I do very often, for whatever reason, the anthem just, the anthem just brings up the vision of families that lost loved ones. Mm, yeah. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger. And I'm not saying it's every single time. I have to be in the right mood. I have to be kind of in an introspective or just kind of a, you know, a thoughtful mood. I'm not all riled up, ready for the game. But it does, even though I'm not in that, I don't have family members that fought, the, the anthem for some reason, and the flag does bring up families who lost kids and right. brothers and sisters parents. and parents. Yeah. And it just, it, it, it does. I, I can tell you that sometimes, oftentimes, I think about my dad a lot hmm. and the games that we went to, you know, the stories about all right. the different games. My dad loved the national anthem. Huh. He loved it. He would, he was one of these guys that would sing out loud <laughs> and didn't have a great voice, yeah. but he would sing. There was no, I don't think I ever went to one of these Syracuse games or any games, Dolphins as a kid, whatever. I don't think I ever was at a game where the national anthem, where he didn't out loud sing the national anthem. Yeah. So I think about, I think about him. Um, I don't know. Stupid stuff sometimes. I, my mind wanders, and I, I, I guess for everybody, everybody's a little different. On it's a real personal question. Yeah. What, and the reason I bring it up is because I don't think there's any question. Now, you have to ask me after I do it. I don't know when the next Seahawks game I'm going to go to or the next time I'm going to be at a Mariners game or something when the anthem comes on. I can't believe, though, as I'm sitting here today, that I won't think about racial injustice, police brutality, you know, equality, profile. I, there is no question that my mind, yep. at least for the foreseeable future, when that anthem is played, I'm not saying I'll be on one knee when that anthem is played, but I, I for sure, again, ask me when the time comes, yeah. I for sure will be thinking about the discussion and the conversation and the sensitivities over the last month. 
I said I feel lucky to be in this country, to be an American, but clearly not every American does feel lucky like I do to be in the country. And I'm going to think about that next time I hear the anthem. Well, they're not as lucky. Maybe they feel lucky to be in the country, but they're still. They don't feel as lucky as I do. Correct. Yep. Correct. I, don't, I don't have to go through what a lot of people go through. So I'm definitely going to think about it. I'm getting older. I'm getting more, you know, I'm not, probably not getting mature, but I am no. getting older. And <laughs> I'm a parent. And I think about these men and women who leave yeah. kids behind to go serve our country. And yeah. the older I get, the more I start thinking about that. But you're right. I'll definitely think about racial injustice next time I hear it. For yeah. sure. Time to visit with Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. I'm seeing 30-year fixeds in the low threes and projections that it'll be in the high twos in 2021. What do you see, Jordan? That is accurate right now, Mitch. Consensus is that they will continue to tick down here between uh, now and the end of the first quarter next year. The outlook for the next 12 months is very strong. So if I'm a listener of Mitch Unfiltered and I'm looking at my current mortgage numbers and I see... 3.5%, 4%, 3.8%, what I'm paying, does that mean I should automatically pick up the phone and call Jordan Flowers at Guild Mortgage? Or what would be the telltale sign that I should pick up the phone and dial you up? Yes, anything in the high threes and above certainly warrants a phone call. The old adage is a full percentage point drop in interest rate anywhere between a half to a point or more in percentage drop might make sense. And then there's also the options, as we've talked about, looking at converting your 30-year into a 25-year or 22-year or 20-year and dropping the interest rate even further and keeping your payment the same or a little less, but cutting off three to five plus years on your mortgage payment. So anything in the high threes is certainly worth and higher is worth a phone call. All right, so Joe Schmo's listening right now. He's got a four- percent number on a 30-year fixed he calls jordan flowers jordan flowers gets him into what and we don't start all over again right he continues if he wants he continues right where he is in his mortgage payments we can set it up to any amortization term that he wants 20 years to 30 years on a 30-year fix for your listener at four percent we would be looking in the low to mid threes depending on loan to value credit score all those factors, but definitely low threes right now. If people are interested in uh, paying a point, we might even be looking at 3% or below. Tell everybody how they call Jordan Flowers and his team and how long of a phone call are we talking about until you or a member of your team can say, hey, here's what we can do for you, comparatively speaking, to what you're doing now. Yeah, it's a quick, easy phone call. Uh, Direct line into my office is 425 250-3145. You can also call the 250-3150 phone number, uh, and you would get Mindy at my front desk. Five to ten minute phone call just to kind of get an idea of where you're at right now, what your numbers look like, and where interest rates are currently. And then we follow up with you with a uh, mortgage coach, loan estimate, and see if the numbers make sense based off what your goals are trying to be achieved. Perfect. Also a very hot buying market right now. Lots of multiple offers. Prices are escalating. Again, good time to be looking at listing your home or jumping in and buying right now. Again, Jordan Flowers and his team ready for your phone call. All it takes is a call to find out whether they can do something very beneficial for you financially. 425-250-3150. That's 425-250-3150. The Kirkland Office of Gill Mortgage.
Unfiltered. The scenes are heartbreaking, tearing at the very fabric of America, the distrust. For so many watching the unrelenting images of rage, peace seems out of reach. While across the country, some officers doffing protective gear, taking a knee, and for a slight moment, they and the crowd become one. I hurt as much from what I saw as I do, as I do when I see a cop get killed. The African-American community is uh, an outrage, and I understand, rightfully so. And uh, we have to be better as law enforcement. We have to be better. Glimpses of hope breaking through the days of rage, offering a chance that somehow this time might be different. Those of you who checked out our last episode, number 94, know that we had a very sobering conversation with North Carolina Central University Hoops coach Lavelle Moten, what it's like to live with racial profiling and some police misconduct An important listen for those of you like me who just have a hard time relating to that kind of treatment. A few days back, I received a heartfelt email from a Mitch Unfiltered patron who spent many years on a local police force. He asked me to consider the other sides of the issue. So here he is. David Crocker is with us. He's asked us not to identify his police department. We'll grant that request. How are you, David? Thanks for being on with us. I'm good. How are you, Mitch? Happy... uh Whatever day of the week it is. Yeah, well, it depends on when people are listening, I suppose, what day of the week it is. (laughs) That's right. Before we get to your experiences that you mentioned in the email and on the attachment with the audio file, when you see George Floyd in the footage, what goes through your mind as both a human being and then as a former officer who was trained to handle those types of situations, David? I have to go back even 20 years earlier than that to the Rodney King. The first time I saw the Rodney King video, I remember standing in my apartment as a young 20 something year old guy who had never been hired as a police officer yet, but I had been an explorer with the sheriff's department down in Southern California in my high school and early college years, just heartbroken by what I saw. I remember the first time I saw that footage, just standing there literally yelling at the screen, like what in the world are you doing? And so when I see the, the footage of Mr. Floyd, it, it, it brings back that of however we got to this point is wrong, you know, and, and I'm not an expert on the proper techniques to be used, in, you know, currently today. I don't know what they're training. You know, my, my, my career as a police officer was 10 years ago or longer, but, but just to see that it's heartbreaking. It's like, you know, can't we find a, another way to address this situation? I do know from an initial response, even if there was a resisting that was happening, okay, whether, 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 however we, they got to that point to, to keep his knee on his, his neck that long was just not, I mean, it's, you, 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 he's complied, you know? And, um, and so it was just tragic to watch. And, and then to obviously to see the aftermath has just been heartbreaking from every possible angle you can imagine. And when you heard Lavelle Moten's discussion with me on episode 94, David? That's what really tore me up. And that's when I reached out to you because it brought back to me a couple of two to three instances in my eight years uh, with the police that um, really disturbed me. And, and they stood out to me on, you know, it, it, it brings a valid perspective to to what he was sharing. Um, you know, my experience from the patrol car was just as disturbing. Um, I had a couple situations where citizens would call in 
on an individual, you know, you get a call and, you know, a black individual standing on the corner at a bus stop. And, and it's unfortunate. That would be the call, suspicious person. And it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me that you called that in. And, I'm, you know, I think the, the, the thought was if it had been a white person, would they have called it in? And so then as a police officer, you're in this horrible spot where, well, how, how much energy do I, you know, what do I need to be doing from an investigative standpoint? Do I just say, you know, hey, no response or or do I literally have to investigate, you know, because, OK, what was it a suspicious person? And you're just going, oh, my gosh, because now you're like, well, you're not going to you, you have to be very sensitive to the needs of every citizen you meet. And I remember just, you know, my philosophy was, all right, well. I'm, I'm going to drive by and wave. That's all I'm going to do. And whoever's standing there gets a nice wave from a cop and I keep on going, you know, and then if there was, you know, that's just, that was my perspective on it because it would, to me, it was frustrating that, that that was the call because if, I always compared it to, well, if, if they had, if they had been calling in, if it was a white person, or would they have called it in if it was, if it was a white person? And right. so, um, that was a very disturbing, you know, thing to have happen. It didn't happen a lot. But it happened enough that you go, boy, that just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And then I had another situation where I had a citizen call in a potential burglary in progress. And I go and I meet with them and I say, what's going on? They say, well, I saw a young uh, black man jump over a fence. Okay. Is that all? Yeah. Did you see him break into the house? No, no, no. Just saw the going over the fence with the backpack. Well, I look at my clock, it's the middle of the day, it's in my watch, the middle of the day, it's like 2.15, 2.30. And I'm thinking, well, was this a kid coming home from school? Because he said it was a young man, teenage kid, you know. So then I'm in a really tough spot because I don't want any citizen to feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, you know, somebody saw an individual hop a fence into a backyard. Okay, well, how do I investigate that? How do I do my job, what I'm required to do? Let me interrupt. What is your job sure. and what are you required to do? I didn't interrupt with the bus stop one, but you get a call like mm -hmm. that that you are individually kind of dismissing in your heart and in your mind as something that's profiling. But w what is your job? Is your job, once you get that call, you must drive by and wave? You must go investigate? Or do you make some sort of a, a decision on what you're going to do? I, I think at, during my time there, I, you know, I think there's an officer discretion element to it, but I think there's also an element of, you know, if there is, in fact, if it was, in fact, an individual hopping, because we had burglaries that happened during the daytime. So you see an individual hop a fence and another citizen calls it in. I kind of had to ask myself, would I, would I find there an investigative need regardless of skin color? Mm -hmm. You know, and that was my philosophy. There may not necessarily be a guideline in your policy manual that says you have to you know, respond to that. But when a citizen goes and calls, you know, you, you have at least one simple element of duty at, at the time. And I think each agency is going to have maybe different guidelines to that on what, how, you know, if you have to completely investigate every call that comes in versus, you know, you can at your discretion disregard things. And so I know in that situation, what I felt was, well, okay, I have an individual that hopped a fence into a backyard. I at least need to make sure that it's somebody that's supposed to be there, regardless of skin color. I think that's a, I think that's a reasonable approach to anybody that would be wearing a badge okay. uh, or any citizen would want to know, hey, I'd, I'd want to know that an officer investigated that if somebody called it in. If one of my neighbors saw somebody hop my fence, I would want at least them to take a look. And so I felt like the best way to approach that was to uh, 
to go from like three or four houses in a row and knock on every door. Hey, a citizen in, on the, across the street saw somebody hop a fence. Is everything okay here? And so I went to the first house and, and I, you know, uh, is everything okay? Oh yeah, everything's fine. Nobody, no problem here. Okay. Not a problem. Uh, and what's your name? Well, we're the Thomas family. Okay. Well, nice talking to you. You guys have a great day. And then I went to the next house and uh, everything okay here. Somebody saw somebody hop the fence. Just want to make sure everything's fine. Oh, everything's fine. What's your name? We're the Smith family. Well, then I went to the house that the individual had actually called it in on and a nice African-American lady answered the door and, and I uh, say, I'm Officer Crocker. I just finished talking to Mr. Thomas and Mrs. Smith next door. Here are your neighbors. And somebody down the road saw somebody hop a fence. I just want to make sure everything's okay. And, uh, oh, yeah, everything's fine. I think that's my son. And her son comes to the door. Oh, yeah, that's my shortcut after I get off from the bus stop. Well, nice meeting you, young man. Thanks for your help. And I'm going to go next door and make sure everything's okay next door. You guys have a great day. And then I went to the next house. And I did. I think I did that five or six houses in a row. Uh, just that as an overabundance of wanting her wanting that family to never feel like there was a situation that they were wrong. And it frustrated me that, you know, it, it was a, it was a rough situation, but at the same time, I was kind of glad that I lived in a place where I had the time to be able to do that. And that I, the call came to me that I was the one that took the time to extra half an hour to, to take that time. Cause I was feeling like after I left, some time later, she's out working in her on her, her garden in the front yard and her neighbor's out there visiting. And, oh, yeah, the officer came here, too, so that she never felt singled out. Now, that's obviously a lot different than a neighbor calling in saying, I saw somebody breaking the door and they kicked it in. Well, then you have something specific and you go, OK, well, yeah, I got to go address that. But right. that, that was my approach to a situation like that is what taking the extra time. What could I do to make this individual help this individual feel comfortable? Because when I heard Coach Moten, I know people to experience that. I mean, I know that they, that they experienced pain and, and, and that situation. And it was something we talked about a lot in my career. What can I do to help people feel comfortable so they feel safe? I mean, just the presence of the uniform is, can make people, unfortunately makes people, some people can feel unsafe because of previous experiences. And then having an understanding of that, having an awareness of that was, was something that was always on my mind. And, and, um, there was one final situation where uh, I was just happened to be driving down the road, and I think our speed limit was 25 miles an hour. Another car comes at me at 52. My radar goes off, you know, ding, 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 ding. Okay, well, I turn around, and as they pass me, I think I just subconsciously thought it was like an old, you know, uh, lady of Asian descent, you know. And then I pull them over, and I walk up, and it was an African-American lady. And um, she got really mad. You, you pulled me over because I'm black. And, and, and I said, well, ma'am, I, I stopped you because you were going 52 miles an hour in a 25. And, and I, there's no way I could have seen your, you know, your skin color to begin with. And that's not why we're having this conversation. I understood after I left, as painful as that was, because I'm thinking, man, I mean, I'm a family man. I, I'm a man. I, I try to respect other people. And, and, and all at the same time, I need to keep people safe in my town and having somebody going 50 in an area where people are out walking their dogs, where it's a 25, I have, I have a duty to, 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 to stop and say, Hey, we need you to slow it down. And, and so, but it was painful from a police officer's perspective to know that that poor individual had had experiences enough in their past that even me making that contact was painful for them. You know, after driving away from, from that lady and that, and that traffic stop that night, pulling over on the side of the road, just having a little bit of an emotional, moment of, you know, I'm not the individual you thought I was. I'm, I wasn't stopping you because of that and how painful it must be to be a citizen that 
that thinks that's the reason. And so it just, and I'm not a guy that gets his feelings hurt often, but it was a situation where I just, it was painful to see that. And, and then hearing coach Moten, it brought all that back. Do you find yourself in the situation with the lady that you pulled over? Do you feel as an officer, as a white officer, any additional stress or anxiety giving her a ticket? Do you almost feel like, you know, maybe I should let this go this time? Um, I guess that gets in the whole philosophy of the concept of discretion. Discretion is a big word when you're uh, back when I was being trained as a police officer. What's the proper use of discretion? And if you think about it from perspective of what what action do I need to make in this situation to produce the desired result of somebody complying with a law? You know, is, 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 does everybody deserve a ticket? And in my perspective at that time, my perspective was no. You know, not everybody deserves a ticket. Maybe just even some of the conversation that somebody had would indicate, okay, yeah, I'm so sorry, officer. I got to get the kids to the baseball game, and I got the wife's at home waiting for me to come back with the groceries and things like that. And, hey, can you slow it down for us? You know, versus somebody who's, you know, I wasn't speeding. What were you thinking about? You know, don't leave me alone. It's like, well, it, it, I always felt like if I could sense that they understood that, hey, you know, we need to, that, they, that they've kind of complied with what we need them to do the least amount of enforcement required to affect the desired change was the proper policing model. And some other people may or may not subscribe to that. There might be cops listening to this right now going, no dude, I ticket everybody I stop." And I guess that's their professional choice. You know, um, officers, you know, I believe, or in a lot of agencies are given that kind of discretion, but at least we were where I was. And so, um, you know, at the same time, okay, well, could I, what I'm doing here now, if, if I want to create an atmosphere that's safe and I, and if I could ask them to slow it down, does that facilitate the desired behavior? And in that instance, I chose not to write a ticket just because I felt like that's only going to compound the situation. And I said, please, that's not reason I stopped you. If you can slow it down, we would really appreciate it. We've got people walking their dogs around here and going across crosswalks and kids on bikes. And that would help us a lot, you know, and, to write a ticket only, I think, would have made matters worse, at least in that instance. David, how did you defuse the, you only you only pulled me over because I'm black? How long did that part of the conversation, um, how long yeah. did that, that part yeah. of the conversation go on? And what do you say? And, and, and what happens then? Um, you know, I just remember, I remember, I, I got to be honest, my, my first reaction, I was pretty upset. I, I, I'm, that's the last reason, I mean, I, I, I've never done that in my career. I have never done that, you know, and so I'm sorry to make an accusation against me like that. I, I've never done that. So, no, that's not the reason. If you're happy to, if you want to come back and look, the radar is locked in. It can show you the speed if that would make you feel more comfortable as to the reason I contacted you. That's not the reason I stopped you. And, um, and so that was where I left it. You know, I said, here, you know, have a good day. Please slow it down for us. We would really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And going back and to go, it. going back to the young man that jumped the fence, I'm assuming just listening to you tell the story and how you, you investigate it by going house to house, I'm assuming what you're telling me, the inference is, is that if it was a white male that jumped the fence, you would have gone to one house. Is that correct? You would have gone to the house where the complaint lied. Is that right? On, on, uh, yeah, in that situation, I guess, I guess I, in okay. that situation, I, I probably, I mean, it, it, because my the concern I had was I didn't want this family feeling like an officer got called to their house specifically because of that. Because, again, I went back to my initial thought was, would this citizen have called that in 
on a white kid jumping the fence? You know, and maybe the answer is yes, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I would have felt less needing to be careful and going house to house to house yeah. in that situation. Well, you went, you went yeah. house to house to house so that that person didn't feel targeted because of the color of their skin. My question, the reason I asked that question is because I wonder if it's fair to ask the follow-up question, which is would some police officers resent the fact that they had to do what David Crocker did? I got to go do this now. I got to actually play a game here. I got to do this. I got to go to the, I got to go to that house, that house, that house all because the call in was based on the color of the kid's skin or potentially it was. And they could resent that. I, I guess you can say that you're going to have people that are going to look at their career from different, you know, every, everybody's going to look at their career differently. The people that I worked with, there wasn't anybody that I felt would have resented that behavior. Um, it was something that we talked about a lot. Um, there might be others that would, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe that's the way. But I guess you think about it, you know, I don't want to simplify this because this could sound awful, but any business you're in, any career you're in, you're going to have people that, that don't responsibilities of that career properly. And, um, you know, one, one of the perspectives I had, I was thinking about this prior to the call was I pulled several people out of cars that had passed away due to DUIs in my career. People, you know, drivers, they would never, never an innocent victim. Thank God. But, you know, I had three or four fatalities of people that I took out of cars or one lady that passed away right in front of me. You know, she had been in a car crash DUI. And so I just took a very solemn, my responsibility of what am I doing here in my career? I'm, I'm supposed to be keeping people safe. That's my job. I, my job is to keep people safe. And every time I felt that I, I, I pulled the DUI over and got them off the streets, I was saving a life. If I'm keeping people safe, how am I doing that? If I encountered kids that were, you know, drinking at a younger age, what can I do to keep them the safest? Well, getting mom and dad involved as quick as I could was one of the things that I did, you know, calling mom and dad to the scene. Hey, I got little Johnny here with your car and he's got a six pack of beer, you know, <laughs> that, that went a long way towards keeping that kid safe because that family tended to, outside of any enforcement action I took, tended to take things into their own hands just from a family discipline standpoint. And, and so I just felt like from my perspective, what can I do to keep people safe? And I think I think the vast, 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 vast majority of officers do that. And, I, and I'll tell you, there were times in my career that I felt personally insanely unsafe. Um, I had a situation where I was hired uh, during the WTO riots to uh, to be they, they brought in extracurricular or off duty officers from agencies all around the Puget Sound, a lot of the businesses downtown to help protect the lobbies of hotels and businesses when the riots were happening. And I ended up working in a, in a facility up there where a, a, a dignitary, one of the biggest dignitaries you can have, was staying there. And I was the one officer to ask to stand there in the hotel and just kind of keep things safe. Well, then a group of anarchists came marching, marching down the street. And about 50 of them were jumping up and down in the street looking at, at me through the glass doors of that lobby right there on 6th Ave. And I'm the only individual in there that's a law enforcement officer. And then they surrounded a police car. It wasn't ours, but they surrounded a police car parked on the street uh, and then it bounced up and down for a couple of minutes. And then as they marched away, the car had been completely destroyed, completely destroyed. And then they went down and, and, and you saw some of the footage a few minutes later of them destroying the Nike town uh, office. And, and I remember standing there going, what do I do? What do I do if they decide to come in here? You know, 
how do I keep the people in here safe? How do I, you know, and, and the dignitary hadn't arrived yet. And so it just was, you know, it's a hallowed position that we hold as officers and yeah. we're on holy ground. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, thankfully nothing happened and they went, they went the next way, but, uh, it's just, I think the officers that look at it as, you know, my job is to keep people safe. That's what I do. If yeah. I can do that, then they, yeah. then they come at it from the perspective of thinking through what do I need to do right now to keep them safe. And, and that, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed some of these pictures of officers hugging, uh, hugging young kids. And I remember the video of the officer and I think it was in Florida a year or so ago where some, some kids were playing basketball in a neighborhood. The neighbor called a complaint on them. And, um, the officer was like, there's not a problem here. And he ended up playing basketball, basketball with them instead in his uniform, right in the street. And then somehow got a hold of Shaquille O'Neal and brought Shaquille O'Neal the next day. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. That's proper policing, and and that's that's proper care for your community. I mean, I I live in the community where I'm where I'm an where I was an officer, and, and so yeah, um, yeah. It, it's this this thing is so saddening, and I just I wanted I guess if I could sit and have a cup of coffee with with Coach, I would want him to know that at least at least from my chair, I would have done anything to make him feel comfortable and safe. And, and I, I understand what he went through and it's a shame because he's, he's a family man. I'm a family man. We're all in this together. We're all Americans. And like you said the other day, it's been 80 years for crying out loud. When are we going to get past this? And that was, that's what I've been feeling. When in the world are we going to get past this from both sides? Yeah. You know, David, before you run on me, I have to go back to something that you said. We'll finish it up here. When, Go go back in our conversation when we were discussing the follow-up to the, the complaint about the boy jumping over the fence. You made a comment that you are confident that all of your colleagues on your force would have done the same thing going house to house to house instead of going directly to the house so that that, that family and that young man and that mother didn't feel like they were targeted because of the color of their skin, that you are confident that all of your colleagues would have gone to that trouble to avoid that happening because, as you said, we talked about that a lot. I, I want to understand well, that. I, I want to understand that. So you're saying that there, were, there, is a concerted, there is a concerted effort and strategy amongst police forces in the country that when we get a complaint about a, a person of color that we've got to treat this differently than we would treat it if it was a, a white individual, we've got to go a certain way around this so that they don't feel racially profiled. Is that what you're saying or no? Um, I think what I was saying was that the the ones that I worked with, the ones that I worked with would have done the right thing in that situation. When we're talking about, we talked about that a lot. It was, you know, how can we be sensitive to the needs of our community? How can we be sensitive to those that are in that situation? And each situation is different. So I can't say that every officer I, I, that I knew would have done that because they might have chosen another way. But I know the people I worked with um, would have taken the time. There wasn't an individual that I would have felt would have been the bad apple. Um, and so what I was speaking to there was not a specific protocol. Hey, if this happens, here's what you do, because every situation is different. But I do know just from, I guess, what I was trying to do was give give Coach a little bit of comfort and others that might be listening to this, at least from my perspective, the people that I worked with, that there, you know, there wasn't an individual there that I felt 
would have handled that wrong, would have done something wrong. You know, however they chose to handle that situation might have been different. David Crocker, former police officer, good enough to reach out to me after the Lavelle Moton interview, Coach Lavelle Moton from episode 94. David, thank you for reaching out and thanks for taking the time to share a different perspective. I think that's what we do on these podcasts, at least that's what I hope to do on these podcasts, to offer a platform to every side. So thank you very much for for taking that opportunity and, and sharing with us some of your stories. Thank you, Mitch. The voice of David Crocker, he's a former local police officer, heard Lavelle Moton, the head basketball coach at North Carolina Central University's interview with me on episode 94 last week, and he reached out to offer a police officer's perspective in all of this. On the phone with the amazing Mitch Unfiltered partner, Evergreen Golf Call CEO, Tyler Hay. Tyler, haven't visited in a while. How are you guys at Evergreen doing through this whole mess? Mitch, we're doing great. Thanks for asking. I've kind of lost track of the, the days, though. Is it like May 97th or 98th? <laughs> yeah. What's it been like in the investment world? What's it been like just in your offices? I mean, obviously, you've been closed down. What's been the uh, the situation with you guys? Yeah, our offices have been closed. And uh, for us, it, it's not hugely disruptive. You know, we, we're already doing a lot of stuff in terms of having people in different cities and doing conference calls and stuff like that. So, not been hugely disruptive in that way. And actually, in some ways, it's been a positive because while we've been pushing clients to do more, you know, Zoom meetings if they're if they're not available and, and, and they're more remote, this is sort of kind of maybe create a little bit of impetus to get that rolling. I'd imagine that with the stock market slowly recovering and interest rates down, that there are some opportunities that have arisen for your team and your team's clientele. Certainly, Mitch, when the market was down 37 from its peak, there were some really good opportunities. Today, I think that what people are kind of um, adjusting to is a new reality when they think of investing. You know, for the last 10 years, we've been in a bull market and my five-year-old could have made money by just picking stocks. And now I think that people are having to be a little bit more thoughtful about, you know, do I want to own airlines? Is it an opportunity? Is it a risk? Do I want to own casinos or hospitality companies? And then you think about, you know, how the tech sector looks relative to some of those other ones. And you you might be deciding that just buying the S&P 500 and not worrying about what stocks are in it. I think that that might be kind of an old way of thinking and people are adjusting to this new way. Okay, so I'm a Mitch Unfiltered listener and I want to learn more about Tyler Hayes team at Evergreen Golf Call. Tyler, what would you say is the best way to do that? They can go to our website at evergreengk.com, and there's two resources there that I think would be most helpful. We write a weekly newsletter, and it takes a lot of time, but it really does a good job at kind of conveying our thoughts on the market and our outlook, and that's available for free. And then there's also a financial personality assessment that we have on our website that allows clients to kind of tell us who they are, what are their investment preferences, and engage us that way. Hey, Tyler, thank you so much for being a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Mitch. Let's get on the link soon. (laughs) Check out the website, evergreengk.com. Unfiltered. Gregory Forgadar thought he was going to die. As the 500-pound bear slashed his back, swung him to the ground and bit his stomach, he looked into its eyes and was sure this was the end. I said to myself, well, at least I'm getting killed by a pretty bear. Episode 95 continues with maybe the most blatant example in history of the saying, all's well that ends well. 
I'm super excited to welcome in 73-year-old hiking enthusiast. Now, I was going to call him Greg Godar, but he wants to be referred to as Thor to Mitch Unfiltered, all from West Yellowstone, Montana. Hi, Thor. How are you? Hi, is this uh, Mark Marin? <laughs> this is Mitch. This is only Mitch. All Mitch, you got oh, is yeah, Mitch. Mitch. <laughs> so, Mitch, are you actually in Seattle? I'm in uh, the very close proximity to Seattle. I'm in Bellevue, Washington. Well, I'd like to thank you folks for sending us the uh, the COVID-19 stuff. It's been really uh, exciting around here. Thanks a lot. Oh, you're blaming us for that. Is that right, Thor? This segment is supposed to take us away from COVID-19 and the thoughts of COVID-19. <laughs> I want you to tell us, you and your wife, a couple of Fridays ago... You're, you're where? You're in Henry's Lake State Park in Idaho. Is that right? Not for the first time. Yeah. You've been there before. Tell us a story. Well, we, uh, we go over there to hike because it's, it's a pretty place, and it's really only about, I don't know, 20 minutes from, from our house in Montana. We uh, selected a trail that we've done before. It goes up in the Aspen Hills overlooking the lake, and we're uh, trotting along my wife likes to look up, uh, look down at the flowers, uh, which I could care less about. And I tend to look up at the sky to look at the blue heron and the bald eagle. And the... We're just trotting along about a mile and a half from the uh, trail entrance. And I, uh, I hear some rustling in the aspen brush. And I look to my right and uh, I, I see something brown and I'm, I'm hoping it's an elk. Uh, I turn. It is not an elk. It is a grizzly bear, rather fat uh, mother grizzly bear, glaring right at me. And her two cubs, which are yearlings, are they're probably 150 pounds, uh, walk across the trail behind me. I see. My first words were, oh, shit. I don't know if I can say that on a podcast. You can. You can say anything you want. Oh, cool. And uh, my second was... Look out, Sherry. Okay, so uh, hold on wife. hold on a second. I want to get the visual. You and Sherry, your wife, are walking down a trail. You look to your right in front of you or just to the side of you, and you see these three bears. Just to the side of me. Just to the side. Just to the side of me. And after you walk by, the two little ones cross the path behind you. They don't come towards you. Yes, they do. Okay. Correct. Okay. And they're, they're moving pretty quick. Okay. And uh, a mother bear is glaring at me. And I think, oh, shit. She charges. And believe me, they are incredibly quick. And how far away would you say she was? And she's a grizzly bear? Is that right? A grizzly bear? This is, in my mind, no question it's a grizzly bear. Yeah. And how big would you say she was? Well, I originally said 500, but I, I kind of checked it out at the local grizzly uh, and wolf discovery session I'm, I'm guessing she's more like 425 450 okay 425 or 450 pounds and she's how many feet would you say away as she's looking at you she's staring at you and her and her babies have gone across the trail behind you how far from you would you say she is 20 feet 20 feet that's not very far seven yards correct okay correct okay and uh she charges comes right at me she pauses for a split second uh, about five feet away, and I'm looking right in her eye, and I'm trying to get my bear spray out, which is attached to my chest where smart people put it on their chest, and um, I can't get it out, and she 
pause for just a split second. Uh, bears don't see very well, so I'm, I, I think she was trying to figure out uh, how do I attack this thing and what is it. I tried to kind of toreador around her, batador around her, but that, that didn't work at all. She uh, slammed me to the ground with her, uh, would have been her left arm, and uh, smashed my face into the uh, dirt, proceeded to jump on top of me and uh, kind of scoot her her uh, beak around to bite me in the belly. So you're face and, down. Uh, Hold on. You're face down. She's on top of your yeah. back, essentially. Where's Sherry through all this? Sherry, well, I, I managed to, you know, shout her a warning. She turned around, and the only thing she saw was the bear on top of me. So she was out in front of you. She was way out in front yeah. of you. Okay. Well, not way out. Let's say uh, 10 yards. Okay. So she turns, sees the bear on top of me. And, uh, oh, by the way, the bear by this time had really bitten my belly pretty seriously. Uh-huh. And uh, I, was, uh, I was almost certain that I was about to die. I figured she would then turn her attention to my neck, the back of my neck, and uh, snap it. And I, I know I'm supposed to be, you know, my life is supposed to be passing before me, but it did not. Uh, first of all, I'm 73, so that would take really a long time. <laughs> And uh, my actual thought, people don't believe this, but I I could not make this up. This is true. My actual thought was, well, at least I'm being killed by a pretty bear. She was pretty. She was very beautiful. Oh, yeah, she was pretty. I think they had just uh, gotten out of the lake after showering up, and they looked like they'd had a giant blow dryer on them. They were fluffy, clean. Um, Normally, grizzly bears are kind of filthy, disgusting, and they stink. Yeah. Not this bear. Man, she was pretty. Yeah. And uh, that was my thought. Well, I'm at least I'm being killed by a pretty bear. She paused. I mean, we're talking split seconds, the whole thing. Right. Uh, she paused for about, I'm guessing, two seconds, got up, and ran back across the uh, trail to her cubs, turned around, and uh, all three of them just watched us, looked just, at us. Just watched From you. about 10 yards away, 15 yards away. I managed to get up, uh, bleeding from the belly, and uh, my wife was, uh, she was unbelievable. Uh, She has always suspected that in such an emergency, she would panic, you know, throw the bear spray down and run. Now, if you do that, grizzly bears will kill you. They think, oh, they're running. It must be something to eat. Oh. She didn't do that. She came toward the bear, finally got her bear spray out and um, sprayed it in the direction of the bear. And I, I didn't realize this at the time, but l- later I discovered I have the smell of uh, bear spray on a lot of my stuff, uh-huh. which uh, it's extremely powerful, by the way, if you've ever... No, I don't know. I don't know anything bear about bear. bears. I don't know anything about hiking. I don't know anything about anything. So I'm, I got lots of follow-up questions. This bear spray is supposed to do what? It just scares them, or they don't like the scent of it? What is this bear spray? Oh, the, well, if you get a snootful of it, it will uh, make you cough, wheeze, uh, and run away. Uh, and it does work on bears, but you got to hit them from about, uh, oh, usually the practice is about 10 yards away. You know, if you have the time to pull out your bear spray, pull the trigger guard off, and spray it from about 10 yards away like target practice, you can repel a bear. They will really? 
it'll damn near kill people, but it'll certainly repel a bear. Okay, Thor, do you feel like the bear is on your back and the bear senses the spray from your wife? Is that the reason? No. No? Why, why do you think I, I, Why do you think the bear I got up? Bear, in an event like this, um, you, you can't fight a grizzly bear. No. I mean, we're talking unbelievable power. Yeah. Huge claws. Right. Ferocious teeth. You cannot uh, fight a grizzly bear. They say if you're attacked by a, a black bear, yeah, you can fight it. You might be able to fight it off, but don't don't bother with a grizzly bear. Play dead. Play dead. I was effectively playing dead because I had a 450-pound bear on top of me. I couldn't move anyway. Right. I think that she sensed that uh, I was no longer a threat to her cubs. Now there was a there was a pile of uh, bones and meat right where they had seen us. And uh, I was told later by bear experts that uh, they were probably feeding on that. Uh, it was either a baby moose or uh, possibly an elk. And they'd been feeding on this mound. And uh, what had disturbed them was my presence. Okay, so... I think she was... Yeah, go ahead. I think she was protecting her babies. She protected... She and thought, once she realized she, that I was... Right. She thought you guys were animals that might cause a threat to her babies. She addressed the situation. Yeah. She figured that they were no longer in danger and now they're out of her midst. She wanted to get back to them instead of stay with you. I think she knew that I was no longer a threat. She either thought I was dead or I was just not a threat. Okay. So her babies were safe and she got up off me. Okay. And I see, this is a, this is a really not, if bears go, this is a really nice bear. <laughs> they, they could have had a couple, you know, a couple days worth of feed off me. I'm pretty fat. Instead of killing me and eating me, they just she just left me. Because they had just eaten. And, uh, they were full. Well, that, uh, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> I think I think they had a big. I think they had a big meal. They went down to the lake. And, you know, took a shower and a blow dry and. Uh, they were, they were content. Yeah, head. they were content. This is my theory. Okay. I don't know. Thor, but here's the part that doesn't, I can't get my arms around. You get up then. You and Sherry then, as I read the story, retreat back the way you came. You went back the mile and a half. No. You're bleeding from no. your stomach. No? No. This is the loop. So we, to retreat back the way we had come, we had to walk right by the bears again. So we walk, I guess you'd say, down the trail to complete the loop. And uh, we thought all the way, uh, you know, walking backwards most of the way, thinking they're going to attack again. Because grizzly bears will do that. Mm-hmm. They'll attack you once, beat you up, and uh, come back and kill you later. So you didn't feel so safe. After the grizzly bear left oh, you, you didn't no. feel safe at all. No. Okay. okay. No. Okay. And my courageous wife uh, walked me out of there, bear spray on the ready, and... Um, uh, we backed down the trail till we were out of sight and then walked a little faster, turning around frequently. And uh, I know that I should have been scared to death and uh, terrified, but I was so happy to be alive that I was almost laughing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My wife, on the other hand, was uh, terrified and uh, was pretty sure we were still going to get attacked. And she was hyperventilating, but she... Uh, she hustled along, uh, helping me. I wasn't moving all that well. 
and uh, she was really courageous. So we, we walked about, we had to go about a mile and a half back to complete the loop because we were about halfway through the loop. And uh, once we got back down into the sagebrush and could see, you know, 100 yards or 200 yards, we felt a little safer, but you never know. So we, uh, well, I limped back uh, a mile and a half to the state park headquarters to inform them that, uh, uh, look out, there's a grizzly bear out there. Now, I have to tell you that uh, I'm not a very bright guy. You, you probably already do that. So, so I, when I got to the headquarters, I said, uh, "Look, there's a grizzly bear up there. Uh, can you do you have some cold water I could pour out? Because uh, it's uh, it's not a tremendous amount of blood, but it's bright red, and I got a white shirt on, and it's it's got dirt ground into it. And uh, I said, you, "You got some bottled water I can pour on this and get the grit out of it, and then I'd like to get in my car and drive home." Uh, to West Yellowstone. And maybe I'll have the uh, guys at the fire department uh, sew me up. Uh-huh. Well, how stupid was that? <laughs> I was uh, descended upon by dozens of people, yeah. um, all kinds of authorities, uh, State Park, the Grizzly Bear Authority. The, the uh, I, He said I was his first victim. He uh, you know, just finished all the schooling about grizzly bears and I was the first bear attack guy he'd gotten to see. There aren't that many of us, you know. Part of a and uh, it was uh, it was appalling, really. I, I had stuff poked all over me, needles and tubes, and uh, they put me in an ambulance against my will. They would not take me back to West Yellowstone. Apparently, there's some. Well, you can't go over that. Oh no, we don't go there. Yeah. Now, well, I, I don't want to get in your ambulance. Then, well, you have to. So they jammed me up, then poked more stuff in me and said they were going to take me to uh, the helipad. What? What do you mean? They take me to a helicopter. They drive me 10 miles to a helicopter pad. They're going to send me to a hospital in Idaho, which I didn't want to go to. The, the, one of the chopper guys, there's three of them, and by this time I'm in, the, I'm in the gurney, strapped in, can hardly move. Needles uh, all over my arms and stuff poked in my face so I can breathe better. I was breathing fine. Now, I, I would like to say that I had pretty good humor through all this, but and they, they all got it, uh, but it didn't really help me. They jammed me in the helicopter anyway, flew me uh, about an hour to Idaho Falls to a helicopter pad and uh, where they took me out of the gurney, slammed me into the... Uh, trauma center in the emergency room and then did fabulous work for like five hours Wow! cleaning up the wound. You see, the problem with a grizzly bear bite is they have horrid stuff in uh, their mouth. Yeah, infection. Yes, and uh, so they had to uh, completely clean it out, uh, measure the holes, put all kinds of stuff on it, yeah. all kinds of pads on it. Yeah. And then the concern was that the uh, Tooth had punched through to my innards. Yep. Uh, probably would have been the liver, maybe. The good news is that I finally found some advantage to being a fat guy. <laughs> the tooth <laughs> the tooth was about uh, 
was later measured at three centimeters into my belly. That's all fat on me. If I'd been a skinny guy, uh-huh. it probably would have gone right through to my uh, innards. Uh, God. But it didn't. Uh. And how you feeling now? I'm sorry you asked that question. <laughs> uh, for a couple of days, they put uh, some weird patch stuff on it with uh, uh, some weird stuff inside of it that's uh, supposed to keep the infection rate down. Yeah. But uh, then I, I, I got sent to a wound clinic. Oh. I didn't know there was such a thing. Yeah. In Bozeman, Montana. And I now have attached to me, uh, you may find this difficult to believe. I do. I have a vacuum cleaner Ooh. attached to my belly. Ooh. It's cemented on, glued Ooh. on. Cleaning the wounds. It, it, yes, it's constantly cleaning the wounds. And it's, it's sealed up so that. Uh, nothing can escape from the wounds. Yeah, I have a. I have to carry a battery charger around with me, uh. which looks like a colostomy bag victim. Yeah, and uh, I have tubes. Uh, I can occasionally see fluids running through this tube. Oh, I don't need to hear any more about yeah. this. No, I don't know. Yeah, I, no, yeah, I didn't that's, think that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. Cut it out, Thor. Yeah. I have two last questions yeah. for you, Thor, before you. You, you run off. First of oh. all, you, you you left out part of the story. Did you not walk by people when you were getting back to where you needed to be? People that might have been yeah. heading in the direction of the grizzly bear? Did you have any comments or anything to say to those people that were walking past you towards well, the grizzly bear? <laughs> there was one little, uh, little old lady with her dog, uh-huh. and she had just started uh, down the trail, and I said, uh, I don't think you want to go there. There's a grizzly bear out there. <laughs> and she she said, oh, I, I don't think so. I've been hiking here for 19 years. I've never seen a grizzly bear. Yeah. I said, look, lady, I'm telling you, this is a grizzly bear. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> and so she uh, she did turn around and uh-huh. hustled her and her little dog uh-huh. back to the uh, state park headquarters. Okay. Are you looking forward to getting well, back out there, Thor? Oh, God. Uh, I've discussed this at length with my wife. Yes, but we're going to carry the bear spray in our hands from now on. Not, uh, you, I couldn't get it out of the holster, and she, she had trouble, too. Okay. I'm going to carry it right in my hand. Yeah. I'm not going to carry poles anymore. Poles actually confuse your ability to get the bear spray out. Okay. And I'm going to... Uh, Talk louder, and I'm going to wear big bear bells. What does that mean, bear bells? What what do bear bells do? Bear bells will let the bears know that you're coming. See, grizzly bears actually hate humans, and they don't want contact with them because we're the we're the species that almost killed them uh, into extinction. Right. So they'll avoid you if they can. Oh. But um, the bear, the little bell bear, bear bells that I had on my back were not very loud. I see. So the bear obviously did not hear them. I see. And uh, the bear expert said, get yourself a big cowbell and put it in the front. So, that so you, we're going to do so that. So you're going to hike. You're going to be hearing this bell go off every step of the hike. You're going to have a bell go off? Pretty much. By the way, people hate bear bells because they, of course they, do. they scare off all the wildlife. And they're, they're annoying to hear, but... I don't care what they think anymore. Okay, and you're gonna hold I'm, you're gonna I'm hold going this to... bear spray in your hand. Is this bear spray? 
Is this bear spray foolproof? If I have bear spray, I, I know that if a grizzly bear attacks, I'm in good shape or not? I wouldn't say foolproof. <laughs> it depends on the, on how the wind is. Okay. If the wind is blowing stiffly yeah. in your face, you're in trouble. You're you're not going to nail the bear enough. You're going to nail yourself, and uh, oh. uh, it's probably not going to work. Why, why by the and, way, Thor? Why do you think Mama Bear stopped right in front of you? That that hesitation five feet away. What was that all about? I uh, I I don't really know. I think she was uh, deciding what the best way to attack was. Okay. I'm going to have nightmares, Thor. I'm going to have nightmares. Well, I have one other resentment that I should at least mention. Uh-oh. What, the, first, uh, the first post out of the state park, which went to the, I don't know, the authorities and, and uh, the newspapers in, in uh, Idaho Falls, called me an elderly man. Oh, you're not an elderly man. Well, I'd like to see that young whippersnapper get in my face and call me an elderly <laughs> man. I mean, I, I'm old, but elderly man implies some sort of feeble guy, you no, know. You're fine. Walking around you're with fine. an oxygen bottle. You want to. Thor! I'm old, but I'm not elderly. Thor, you won a wrestling match with a 450 pound grizzly bear. You won, Thor. There's no elderly about you. You're the toughest son of. You're the toughest 73 year old there is on the planet right now. Mitch, Mitch, you got to remember, I won by playing dead. <laughs> That's not wrestling. I I tend to differ. I think wrestling's in the eyes of the beholder, and I have anointed you the winner by TKO in a wrestling match against a 450-pound grizzly bear. How's that? I'm in charge here. I'm the judge. I'll take TKO, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Thor. It's great to visit with you. I hope you mend quickly and you get back out into the wilderness. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Man, Greg Thor Godar, 73 years old, a couple of Fridays ago, attacked by a 450-pound grizzly bear. I chuckle because all's well that ends well. He lives to tell the story. Unbelievable. It's time to catch back up on Mitch Unfiltered with Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest, President Dan Black. I was really excited the other day to get some good news, Dan Black, for Zeke's Pizza and all your fans out there. Yeah, Warren Faye is 1.5, and so our uh, dining rooms are at 25% capacity in terms of being open, and our patios are at 50%. So, yeah, uh, we're feeling good about it. All restaurants open what kind of precautions are you taking? Anything that we should know for all of our listeners that are getting ready to go back out to Zeke's Pizza? All 17 locations open. Uh, we're following all of the state's guidelines, so that means that at least half of the tables will be marked off as closed. Uh, when you come in, there's no bar seating. Markers so people can stay socially distanced when they're uh, waiting in line uh, at our takeout places. Plenty of hand sanitizer, other cleaning supplies around. And so you see, you see more people cleaning than usual. And we've tried to make it really clear for people uh, in terms of what they need to do while they're in there. So it should be, it'll be different than what people are used to, but it'll be easy. And of course, you expect the delivery business to continue thriving because there's a lot of us that are still undetermined on whether we want to go back and sit inside just yet, right? Yeah. Uh, initial indications are, though, that 
people want to get out, and so things have been busy. But yes, we expect delivery and takeout to continue to be at the forefront for the foreseeable future. I think I think there's somewhat of a permanent shift towards that being more prevalent in people's lives, even as people get out and start to dine in more. And still, by the way, Zeke's Pizza app is the best way to get that delivery service over and over again. Yep, it's the easiest. That's what I use. Once you've signed up with your email and done a few easy things to get it installed, then pizza and beer is basically a couple of button pushes away. And so that's basically the only way I order at this point. Off topic a little bit, and maybe you don't want to talk about this. Maybe you do. Is this really, really good news from a revenue and profit standpoint for Zeke's Pizza? Or does a limited open... 25% in dining rooms and 50% outside. Is that an inconvenience from a a financial standpoint as well? It's a great question. For us, it's an unequivocally good thing. We can can handle the new dine-in business even at 25% and 50% outdoor without any new staff simply because we have our takeout and delivery staff on hand. For other restaurants, I'm not sure that it's a blessing. You know, it would be really hard if your main business is a dining room and you've been closed for these months. I think it'd be really hard to open up and make it pencil at 25% capacity and 50% outdoor. And so for Zeke's, it's unequivocally good news. We can welcome customers in and handle it seamlessly. For other restaurants, I think it can be difficult. Well, I'm thrilled for you guys. I'm thrilled for all of us. We can go enjoy Zeke's Pizza and a cold beverage inside Zeke's, 25% capacity or on the outside opportunities for 50%. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for you guys. I can't wait to take my family back. Also, you can download the Zeke's Pizza app if you're still not quite comfortable going inside. Still have delivery service right to your door. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Thanks for being a great partner, Dan. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks for all the support during all this. Unfiltered. Be sure on the offensive end that they're going to be going at West Ensel. Sekma with a strong evening. Hitting the 20-point mark. Unsell gets free of Webster. Back to eight. Very crucial gamble that time by Marvin. Really hurt them. So it has come down to the last 26 seconds of game seven. Seattle Supersonics trailing the Washington Bullets. 101 to 97. Wes Unsell will be coming to the free throw line to shoot the penalty. This may very well be the biggest free throw Wes ever shot. Unsell can make it a four-point bullet lead. Changed his free throw shooting style in the playoffs. Leading with that right foot. Conley comes back after missing three in a row and hitting those two important ones, which put the bullets up by four and 12 seconds to go. And the celebration can begin in Washington as the Washington Bullets jubilantly file off the floor and the crowd here in Seattle, rather than booing, comes to its feet and gives both these teams a tremendous ovation. The last time our next guest joined us here on Mitch Unfiltered, he had just been voted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. He has since been inducted long overdue, and now he's prepping his golf game for a run at the senior tour. Here's Sonic's legend and all-around nice guy, Jack Sigma. Are you getting close to the Champions Tour, Jack, or are you still a ways away? 
Well, I just skipped over the Champions Tour. I'm going straight to the Super Super Senior Tour. I think I'm 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 a few months short of 65. I'll, I'll be ready to go in a few months. All right, all right. Now I just read in Percy Allen's story that you're one of seven players in NBA history to have 17,000 points, 10,000 rebounds, 3,000 assists, 1,000 steals, 1,000 blocks, a partridge in a pear tree. Can you name, actually you're one of eight, can you name any of the other seven or can you name all seven? Well, uh, I think I can name quite a few of them. Carl Malone, Garnett, and Duncan, and Kareem. I don't know. You did good. That's enough, you right? Did. <laughs> you did good. Jabbar, Malone, Duncan, Barkley, Olajuwon, Nowitzki, Kevin Garnett. That's pretty good company. That's pretty good company to be in, Jack. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I hung around long enough to, to uh, mount up some stats, and uh, you know, I wasn't dependent on one part of my game. And uh, I'm sure everyone here is a little surprised about the thousand blocks. I, I would tell you that probably half of those I was standing standing on the ground. I just happened to have good timing and uh, reach at the correct time against a bunch of smaller guys. Now, some people would say, Jack, that you were always standing on the ground. Uh, I, I preferred it. That's for sure. I preferred that. It's probably the reason why, why I didn't miss many games at all during my career is I, I didn't put myself in harm's way. Not, not totally by choice. I wish I could have been a high flyer, but uh, that wasn't the case. When news broke last week about the death of Wes Unseld, many of us immediately thought back to you, the Sonics, the Bullets, and those two NBA Finals clashes. Tell everybody in our audience who's either too young to remember or just wants to reminisce a, a little bit about the old days, what it was like to try to move him around from place to place. <laughs> Well, you didn't move him. You, you, thinking about Wes, it was always a case where you had to beat him to the spot, which meant you had to run the court and kind of get there early. But once he he uh, set himself, there was there was no moving him. I was fortunate a little bit with the fact that my post game was uh, on the Sigma move, which was the inside pivot that created some space. I think he that went against his strength. Where if you were trying to play a power game and, and uh, you know, kind of move him and that kind of thing. He stuck that, that belly on you and you, you just got <laughs> locked up. So one of the, I think two guys that won the rookie year and MVP during the rookie year, you know, he was a mainstay for the bullets for years and years and years. When I went up against them, uh, actually the first year we, we went back to back and they won the first one. We won the second one. The first year, I actually was playing the four more, so I went up against Alvin Hayes with a little bit of Wes. And, the, and then the second year, when we won it, I went up against Wes quite a bit. Um, and he was—he didn't say much. He just did his work. I, I remember one time, uh, Wes would be pretty good at elbow elbow tipping you when you shot it. So he—I I was. Uh, had that elbow out and doing my inside pivot and he caught my elbow and I started complaining uh, a little bit to the referee and uh, Wes mumbled something about under his breath about quit whining, be a man, something like that. But other than that, he didn't have a lot to say. He was uh, as respected as anyone though in the game. And uh, he did a lot of different things to help his team win. 
they got that championship in in 78 and he was the MVP of the series. Yeah, you got to respect a guy because there're not many of them that make a dramatic impact on the game without having to score. Obviously Dennis Rodman was one of those guys. Wes Unseld, I, I, you know, in many of the games, he was in single digits, but he did everything else well. He was obviously a, a great rebounder. Jack, they used to say that he was, that he kind of reinvented the outlet pass or he kind of revolutionized the, the outlet pass. What did he do that made the outlet pass so so special? Well, he was infamous for being able to get the ball off the board at one end and turn and throw a two-handed overhead pass that hits the backboard on the other other end really and so he was always a threat to to get the fast break started and the bullets had some athletic guards that could get out and go so we always had to uh, make sure we had four balance and getting someone back the other thing that he was so good at was they they used him a lot at the elbows and the high post and he'd hit those cutters really a good passer they they played a lot through west for me, it was almost a relief, though. At least he wasn't, you know, three feet from the hoop and and laying all over you and, and pushing you under the basket when uh, when he was out at the elbow. At least you, you had a chance to yeah. maybe keep him away from the, the rebound game. Jack Sigma is our guest, Hall of Famer Jack Sigma. Tell me about that weekend, Jack. I think people in our audience would love to know how you felt about that weekend, how it went, how nervous you were at the speech, anything anything funny that happened that we want to know about that our audience would like to know about? Well, first of all, my uh, I had over, a, I think, about 120 my closest and dearest friends there, which kind of overran the whole Hall of Fame weekend. I had a ton of friends. Uh, first of all, I'm from a big family and probably had 15 to 20 family members. I had a ton of buddies that I grew up with back in Wichert, St. Anne area in Illinois and 30 fraternity brothers and friends from Milwaukee and Seattle. And so it was a big weekend. And I think one of the funniest things was when Ahmad Rashad introduced me, the crowd went nuts uh, and he, he, he couldn't figure it out. He just didn't know how many people were there to support me. So that was great. <laughs> Charles Barkley, of course, is larger than life. And he was there and our, a bunch of people that were there to support me would go hunting for Charles just to say hello. Uh, my niece was seven months pregnant and uh, she wanted to get a picture with Charles's hands on her, on her pregnant belly, just to kind of bless the <laughs> child. So the, the kids had, a, everybody had a lot of fun and, and, you know, all the hall of famers were, were fantastic to share that with them. I had uh, my presenters. Unfortunately, Lenny uh, wasn't able to uh, get there at the end, but I had Kareem and Wayne Embry as my presenters, two very different centers Mm -hmm. in the league, but two great ones and Hall of Famers in their own right. And, of course, I played a lot of games uh, watching number 33 throw that sky hook over the top of me. So I, I was really honored that he agreed to be one of my presenters. It was just a, it was a fabulous weekend and they really do a great job. I mean, uh, Jerry Colangelo and the staff there, they, they really make it such a treat for you and you, you feel so special. So it was just a great week weekend and memorable. And I, I was just 
so happy that I could share it with so many of my friends. Mm. How did you play Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? I know that you're going to say nobody knew how to play him because he was, if not the greatest player of all time, certainly one of the top five greatest players of all time. When you knew you were getting into a game with Jabbar, Jack, how'd you approach it? What'd you do? Did you try to push him around? Did you try to move him off his spot? I mean, how did, how did people play against Jabbar back in the day? Well, then, you know, you couldn't use uh, the arm bar and the leverage, so you really had to chest him once he got the ball. Half the job is to beat him, again, to the spot so that he can catch it maybe a step farther than what where he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then you, you had to play that. Even though he could go to his right shoulder and shoot the left-handed hook, you really wanted to shoot that, excuse me, left shoulder, uh, right, right-hand hook, uh, you just bodied him. And then, then it was a case of he could score 30 points plus if he shot 50% or less, you, you kind of did your job. And that was the approach back then. There wasn't much double teaming. It was really one-on-one defensive schemes. And uh, then you tried to make him work on the other end. I, again, I tried to run him. Usually most teams that were effective against Kareem had a couple guys that would come in and try to be fresher. Mm-hmm. than he was and, and, you know, double up on him as far as uh, having a couple uh, people be be in there and be be physical and, and uh, run the court. There's never an article written about Jack Sigma that doesn't mention your free throw shooting. You and I were talking about it the other day. You shot 92 or 93% from the line one year and, and was the only center to ever win the free throw percentage title, whatever that's called. Uh, you shot in your career, I don't know, 86, 87 percent. How'd you do that? How'd you become such a great free throw shooter as a big man? Did you have a thought uh, for all of us who've got kids that go to the free throw line a lot? What, what did you think about when you stepped to the line or did you think about nothing? You know, I worked hard on it throughout my career as a pro. And uh, I think the first couple of years I was in the 70s into the 80s. But I realized with my inside pivot Sigma move, I was dependent on the jump shot. So to kind of bring up the your troop shooting percentage, I felt like I needed to get to the line seven or eight times a game. And I could do that because... Uh, I could pump fake from that position. Uh, like you said, I'm not one to leave the floor, so I didn't <laughs> I didn't have to leave the floor to get that shot off. Yeah. So I could commit uh, many times after the defender. And and so the point became I, I wanted to get to the free throw line, so I started working on it. Uh, it came about with some relaxation techniques, some some uh, focus on the rim, and I just got better doing it. You know, uh, I used to tease everybody a, a little bit. I said, then the amount of technicals or defensive three seconds, I said, if, if you're the best free throw shooter, you're going to get a couple more points a game <laughs> from all those other opportunities that happen. And if you're the best free throw shooter on the team, uh, you're going to be the one that gets to shoot those. So anyway, I, it was a work in progress. It was something that I needed to do to fit my game. Fortunately, I, w- I was a decent shooter always throughout my career, and I wish it would translate to putting. I, I just <laughs> That's really what I wish. It would translate to putting, and it, it doesn't quite. Oh, so. don't sell yourself short. You make the big ones, Jack. Jack Sigma is our guest. Did you watch the Jordan series, The Last Dance? And what did you think if you did? I did. I, I watched it. I thought it was entertaining. I kind of binge watched it where in the middle, I kind of had to step away a little bit. I found it 
good TV under the circumstances. We were all begging for sports. Right. My last year in the league was their first championship. So I didn't have to compete against that Bulls team. Uh, again, I was in Seattle and remember the championship series against the Sonics. But I thought it was good TV. And uh, I find it interesting that there's some of his teammates that didn't feel like they were portrayed very well. But, uh, you know, really the audience wanted to, to know uh, about Michael Jordan. So um, it was good TV. Do you ever get ribbed by your boys about a certain dunk over number 43 of the Milwaukee Bucks? I try to tell them and convince them <laughs> that it was Tom Chambers and not me. <laughs> Uh, actually it's it's funny we'll be competing whether it's a board game or gin rummy or whatever and i'll make a snarky comment about you guys you know got more work to do or when you're ready to step up to the big leagues you can play (laughs) me and that kind of thing and every once in a while i'll get a gift from one of the boys of the Jordan dunk over the top of me. So I I live with it more often than I care to talk about. I do have one that comes back at him though. I did block a shot once. Did you really? That's on YouTube too. I don't know. I think it was from behind or he didn't see me coming, (laughs) or maybe he was falling down. He could, he could have been falling down. Maybe he tripped and just threw it up there. Anyway, were you on the ground? uh, Were you on the ground or in the air? I was standing straight up. (laughs) I, 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 I was standing straight up and got him. Uh-huh. So. Do you remember, by the way, I, I I just wonder, do you remember the game and the moment when he dunked it over you? Do you have do you have no. any kind of memory of that? Or just is no. it just because no. you see the highlights? Actually, he was up there hanging. And, and, and again, I just got there a step late. And I should have just, if you're going to be a step late, you shouldn't have went at all, especially with someone uh, dunking on you. Uh, but it, it wasn't the best dunk ever on me. There was an open court, fast break, Jerome Kersey dunk Ooh. where he took off from 15 feet away <laughs> and just posterized me. It's uh, the, the, the term caping where you're kind of bent over and trying to yeah. not get hurt so bad. Yeah. But that happens if you're the center, uh, especially the way I played. Uh, you got to come to penetration and uh, – if you're there a little little late, they're launched, and it can be a little embarrassing. Jack, what do you remember, before you go, what do you remember, of course, you were a veteran, older player at the time. When he came into the league and started doing the things that he was doing, what were other players, what were vets like you thinking? What were you talking about? Was Was he... Was he a, a a topic of conversation on buses and in hotels and at practices? What what do you remember about that time? That first year, he started off strong, and but you know at that point in time, it wasn't still a sure thing, and and no one, even after the first couple of years, had any idea what impact he would have and what an icon he would become and what an advertising star he would become. Um, you know, for, for Nike to see the possibilities early definitely helped make a name for Jordan. But, you know, there was still a little bit of early in the career, you know, prove it. And again, like I said, I played against them six or seven years and it wasn't until that last year, the seventh year, that his team actually was a championship team. So he was exciting. He brought a lot of people to the game. 
brought a lot of money to the game. We understood that impact. But, you know, until he started winning championships, there was a hole in his resume. So uh, when I was playing him, he hadn't filled that hole yet until that last year, but I had decided to retire. So fortunately, um, I didn't have to deal with him over the next six, seven years. Uh-huh. No question about that. Jack Sigma, Hall of Fame center Jack Sigma, 93% from the free throw line one year. He's been inducted into the Hall of Fame, the champion center of the Seattle Sonics when they beat the Bullets, and, of course, Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes. Thank you, Jack. It's great to catch up with you. I hope to do it again sometime soon. Thanks for doing this. All right. Thank you, Mitch. I'm happy to be on. Thank you. There's our guy, Sonics legend Jack Sigma, now Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. Jack Sikma reminiscing about those two championship series matchups with the Washington Bullets and Wes Unseld, who we lost last week at the age of 74. Also remembering when Michael Jordan went high in the air and dunked over the big fella. He says he also got a block in there that's on YouTube. We'll all do some searching for that. It's time to welcome in for the first time to Mitch Unfiltered, the CEO of my favorite steakhouse, our favorite restaurant, Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Lindsay Schwartz with some good news over the weekend, right? Yeah, Mitch, really good news. So exciting to finally be open again at one location, and hopefully more to come soon. All right, speaking specifics, we can go to the Leshy location of Daniel's Broiler, and that's it for now, and we can also order out, right? We can also have food delivered from Leshy's location. That's right. We can seat uh, up to 25% capacity inside. We can seat 50% capacity outside on the decks, and we have a nice deck at Daniel's Leshy. And uh, we're doing delivery and to-go. So even if we're booked up in the restaurant, which we actually have been ever since we opened, uh, you can always take it to-go or order for delivery. So it's a fun time. How did the first few days go? What kind of community support did you get once you opened the doors at Leshi? Daniels. I was blown away. We actually, you know, we didn't know when the announcement would come out that we would be able to open for inside seating. So we had some tentative plans, but we were waiting to see when we would get the green light. And uh, once we got the green light that very same day, and uh, really by about 4 or 4.30, the reservations booked up for the entire night. So that was, uh, it was, wow. it was really nice to feel that kind of support. It felt great. It's been a very difficult several months for everybody. Can you put into words the difficulty that you, your family, the businesses, Daniels, the uh, the wholesale business, can you put into any kind of words what these last three or four months have been like for you, Lindsay? Uh, the hardest part for me was uh, was the jobs going away. I mean, I've, I've been working in the family business for 40 years and, and grew up working with a lot of people. We have people in our company that have been with us 20, 30, even 40 years. And uh, to, have, to have to close the restaurants and have all those jobs go away, even temporarily, but not knowing when they would come back, that was excruciating. I mean, it's not something I ever would have thought we would go through. And it was the most difficult part. And so now 
uh, there's still a lot more people that, that we plan on bringing back and will bring back. But even to bring back kind of that first tranche of our team members was a great feeling. Okay, so Les Shy location of Daniel's Broiler is open. 25% maximum capacity inside, 50% maximum capacity outside. I don't know that people would ordinarily think of Daniel's as a delivery place. You know, you get pizza delivered. You don't typically get world-class steaks delivered, but you guys are, are on that end also. Tell everybody how to get involved for the people that are still a little bit hesitant to come to the Leshy location and dine inside with you guys. How can we order Daniel's Broiler and the best steaks around to our house? Well, there's a few different ways to do it. We have an app, a Daniel's Broiler app, so you can download that on your phone and you can order either delivery or takeout through the app. You can also call the restaurant for takeout if you want to come in and pick up. And then for delivery, you can go on DoorDash. So we partner with DoorDash as our third-party delivery partner. Um, right now, with just the Leshy location open, the geographic footprint is, is mostly the Seattle area, uh, I think, into Mercer Island, too. And so as of right now, there's no delivery available on the east side. But as soon as we get the Bellevue location open, we'll be able to open up that footprint for delivery. And we're, we're excited to do that. Well, a lot of us lost special occasions, whether it would be Mother's Day, we weren't able to dine out. If we celebrated a birthday or an anniversary over the last three or four months, we lost out. So here's the opportunity. Less shy location, Daniel's Broiler, is now open and will slowly, hopefully, return to normal with the other locations of Daniel's Broiler. Lindsay, on a personal note, you've been great with us uh, on the radio show. You've been great to us on the podcast. You've always stood by my side, and I'm very much appreciative to the partnership, and I can't wait to be a small part of getting the Daniel's Broiler brand up and going again and get my family to Daniel's Broiler. Thank you so much for all that you've meant to us on the radio and on the podcast. Yeah, you bet. And Mitch, thank you for being such a good partner to us. And, and you've been really nice to talk about the Schwartz Brothers Bakery items uh, for the past several weeks. And I know that our deal with you has, has always been about Daniel's Broiler. So thank you for being kind enough to do that. And it's fun now to transition back to the Daniels message. And by the way, speaking of celebrations, coincidentally, this is the 40-year anniversary nice. of the opening of Daniels Lesha. We were talking about that, if you remember, before all yep. this happened. And yep. so in celebration of that, we are doing $40 bottles of the yellow label Vouv Clicquot, which normally sells for 125 I think. So nice. uh, that's a pretty sweet deal. And I can tell you, ever since we've reopened, I've seen a lot of those bottles going out <laughs> to the tables and, and uh, out the door with the to-go orders. So good way to catch up on, on all the celebrations that have been missed. Yeah. Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. All right, three interviews in the books. Other Stuff segment, episode number 95. Don't forget to become a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can have access to all the bonus episodes. We do a full second show each week that debuts or is released on Thursday mornings along with my dear friend, So Right, So Wrong. That's the Issaquah Skyline rivalry you got there? Yeah, I'm not, allowed, shirt. To, not allowed to wear this to my fifth grade daughter's games oh. against Skyline. It's fine. I, I, I have a little so class. So Right. 
So wrong. Skyline. It's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Yeah, I'm not allowed to wear this, nor would I. I'm very classy, as you know. Now, I told you at the beginning that I had, <laughs> I had an NBA trivia question for you, but you may know the answer to this because it's his birthday, and that's the only reason I saw this today, oh. the day we record this. Oh, I don't know. The I don't shortest, know had a birthday. The smallest player to ever win the NBA MVP. They said smallest, but probably means shortest in combination of height and weight. He was not very NBA big. MVP. What era are we talking about? The year was 2001. Oh, Jesus. The small, he won the MVP at six foot one. Really? Somebody won the MVP at six foot one in the in the 2000s. Yes, and I think you were talking about. Yeah, off the air, you were I, you were talking about his this team. Stump the band question. Very good. Stump the band question. The the smallest player in NBA history to win the NBA's MVP. How about Allen Iverson? That would be correct. Hey, nice job. Happy 45. I didn't even know that he was only six one. Allen Iverson is actually. I know. I know where you got that. It, that was we. We weren't on the air. We weren't recording when we were talking about. Well, that. it's his birthday. That's why I saw uh-huh. that. I saw it on Twitter that he's forty-five years old. Forty-five years. Practice. <laughs> right. Talking about practice. God, he was good. I saw Allen oh. Iverson. I saw Allen Iverson against Ray Allen in one of the greatest Big East Finals championship games. I've gone back and watched that. Actually. Oh my God, Ray Allen. I was there. Oh yeah, yeah. I was there wow. twenty years in a row. Yep. Uh, Allen Iverson versus Ray Allen, I think, in the championship game on a Saturday night at Madison Square Garden. Oh. Ray Allen hit a shot. He was kind of hanging in the yep. air in the in the lane. Yep. Little kind of runners, kind of pull-up-ish. Yeah. Ray Allen against Allen Iverson. UConn against Georgetown. Yeah. Allen Iverson had one of my favorite dunks of all time in college. I mean, that guy could jump. He could play. Ooh, he could play. He was, a, he was an interesting fella. Yeah. While you're on the topic of the NBA, I am not a huge Greg Popovich fan. Are you a Greg Popovich fan? Um, I'm indifferent to him. Really? Yeah, he doesn't really do much never, for me. Or... I've never, I've always been rubbed a little the wrong way by Greg Popovich. The greatest nickname I ever saw for him, though, and it's really rude. You know, he's got like the pockmarks. Yeah. Greg Popposit. Oh, jeez. That's actually kind of funny. <laughs> I think a Sonic fan came up with Greg Popposit. I've anyway. never, I don't know. He, <laughs> it started going back to when he would give sideline reporters and media people a bad time. Okay, that always guess, rubs you as a media yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, as a guy who's been in the locker rooms sure, and, I, yeah. and I know how hard these guys work. That's become something, I, I get a kick out of it because he's kind of in his later days kind of made fun of that. People are actually now laugh along, like it's become a laugh along with Pop thing, okay. with the Craig Sager, now he does it, you know, it's, it's become the lovable Greg Popovich, but when it first started, it always rubbed me the wrong way. I never was a huge fan of it, but he made, I don't know, have you seen his video in the aftermath of the George Floyd um, I read his comments murder? on Twitter, yeah. You read the, did you see, you didn't see the video? No. He did a video, and I don't, I don't particularly care to stop and watch Greg Popovich talk about anything, but the video was really moving. His words were really moving. Now, I could have done without the piano music, or they had like some musical background to make it even yeah. more dramatic than it needed to be, but uh, just, just a portion of it. He said, in a strange counterintuitive sort of way, this is Greg Popovich, and you can find the video of him talking into the camera, the best teaching moment of this recent tragedy, I think, was the look on the officer's face. For white people to see how nonchalant how casual just how every day going about his job, so much so that he could just put his left hand in his pocket, wriggle his knee around a little bit to teach this person some sort of a lesson, and that it was his right and his duty to do it in his mind. I don't know. I think I'm just embarrassed as a white person to know that that can happen, to actually watch a lynching. We've all seen books 
and you look in the books and you see black people hanging off of trees and you are amazed, but we just saw it again. I never thought I'd see something like that with my uh, my own eyes in real time. He goes on to say, this is a terrible, terrible, terrible period. We're in bad shape yeah. as a country, but just some of Popovich's remarks in like a three and a half minute video that you can find anywhere online. Well, good for him. I know he takes a lot of crap on Twitter. People don't want to hear from jocks. They don't want to hear from sports coaches. No. Stick to sports. But yeah. he doesn't give a crap. And no. that's, that's Steve, never Steve Kerr crap. doesn't give a crap either. No. So that's that's no, no filter. I, I love that. I no, love no I love filter. that quality. You know, he's not busy. Maybe we can get Popovich on, right? He's got nothing to do these days. Well, he's going to be. <laughs> yeah, they're revving up. Yeah, they are revving up. And I, I have, think San Antonio's involved in that 22 teams. I think they are. Yeah. Quick update on J.R. Smith. Remember I told you he caught someone smashing his window? No. Well, we talked about that. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to be the guy. The guy find out. Oh, that was J.R. Smith's Woo! window. He beat yeah, his he, ass. Yeah. All right. Do you want an yeah. update on it? Looks like he's not sure. going to be hit with criminal charges for beating the hell out of that guy because, um, well, the guy hasn't come forward to press charges for for the beating because he's committing a crime as well. So yeah. the police basically say that we have no, nothing to go on. Looks like everyone's just going to move on. He'll get his window fixed and it's the all The guy good. is not like permanently damaged from the, the beatdown, is he? Well, the guy got up and hit the bricks. So I don't I, He didn't look permanently damaged. Oh, he did. He got out of there. He, he jumped up and took I off. Did. So yeah. good for J.R. Smith. Well, we are, well, we're on the topic of the NBA. I guess we should mention... Because it's going to give us something to do once late July hits, July 31st to be to be exact. Have you seen the NBA now has ratified both owners and players are all on board. They are resuming the NBA season on July 31st in Disney World. Yes. Have you been paying attention? Are you excited about that? Yeah, I'm excited. I have some odds for you, too, on who's favored to win it. Eight games, eight games left in the regular season, 22 teams for 16 spots. They're having this Fakakta thing where if you finish ninth in a conference and you're within four games of eighth, they'll give you a shot to play the eighth place team to get the last, because there's eight teams in each conference yeah, that yeah. make the playoffs. So they're giving a team that finishes ninth and cl- a close ninth a chance to win their way, kind of a playoff into the playoffs. Does that make sense? You have to be within four games of yeah. eight. And then you got to beat eight twice in a row before they beat you. <laughs> really? Did I, does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I don't That's know if, they're I, doing. if I'm eight, if I like that. Like, hey, we're eighth. We got in. <laughs> <laughs> what, do I, what do I have to defend my, my spot for? That's a good for? question. I guess the thinking is, well, you got in, but you got in with less games than you were supposed to play. Uh, yeah. So we didn't give nine a chance. We didn't give nine the full 82 games yeah. to catch you. So we're going to give nine a chance to catch you right here. We'll stack the cards in your favor, the odds in your favor. They have to beat you twice. Yeah. I mean, who wouldn't watch that? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I guess it would be pretty good. A playoff spot yeah. up for grabs and whoever wins. I just wonder whether great. we're going to – I'm sure I'm going to watch. I'm a big Clippers fan. I'm sure I'm going to watch. Yeah. But what's it going to look like with no fans? So here's the, what's going to happen. July 31st, they're going to play – eight. starting July 31st, they're going to play an eight-game regular season finale. All teams are going to play eight games. Okay. 20, 22 teams. The other teams are done. Right. They're, they're off. And they're, everybody's in Disney World in Orlando. Crazy. Sealed off. They're going to allow up to 1,600 people. Now, think about Disney World with just 1,600 people in there with all the hotels and yeah. all the – I don't know if the rides will be going, the golf or whatever. <laughs> that would be know. awesome I if they know. were. <laughs> but 1,600 people. Um, once the playoffs start, they're going to allow three family members per player. You can have – each player, once the playoffs start, you can have three of your family members come in. You get tested. Every one of the 1,600 people that are in there get tested every day. Wow. 
I think I read that. Every, Sorry. That's a lot of tests. I was just thinking about what it must be like to be in a hotel without my family. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Sorry. That just went through my head. I'm so sure. you're not going to invite your three people? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> or honey, the NBA says we can't do it. My hands are tied. Wait a second, honey. I thought they said three people. <laughs> no, uh, no, not for me. No, no. I just talked to Adam Silver. No, no, no. Not, not for me. <laughs> I've transferred my three to somebody who's got that's six. Right. <laughs> like drink tickets at a party. Here you go, buddy. Finals will happen no later than October 12th. Uh, they'll, they'll announce it. They'll have an NBA champion. And then the next season, by the way, which is supposed to start October 30th, yeah. will start in late December. They'll have six or eight weeks off. The two NBA final teams will have six or six weeks off. All the other teams will have a lot more time off. Three arenas on the premises. God, who knew those were even there? Five and six games per day. And the playoffs, to be able to get them in in time for October the 12th, you're going to have playoff games in the middle of the week on weekdays during the day, like yeah. in the middle of the wow. afternoon. You're just going to have lots of games going on. And they'll be in these three arenas, and then they'll be in the two arenas, and then they'll come down to the one main arena, and there'll be very few. I think each team – let me see if I got this right. Each team is going to be allowed 35 organizational members. So you get 35 spots each team. Okay. Not not including the, the the players' families once they start the playoffs. Okay. Each team's going to get like, and I think that includes the players and coaches. Trainers. And a, a couple and... of trainers here and maybe a, a vice president or a president. There's 35 people per team will be allowed in the confines of Disney World. It's going to sound like Brett's AAU game. <laughs> I mean, it's going to sound exactly the same when a bat. Hey, uh, that was really good, LeBron James. Hey, you're going to hear me yelling, take it to the hole, Brett. Yeah, right. Although it'll be a bunch uh, of family members who aren't impressed with their dads. No, and they're not going to even clap or no. do anything. But if you're, if you're thirsty for the NBA, starting July 31st, a dash to the NBA Finals. We were thirsty for Tom Brady splitting his pants, so I would say yes. We're, on a golf course. Right, so yeah. I would say yes that we're thirsty for some NBA action. All right, uh, who's favored to win it? I got the uh, the odds here, courtesy of BetOnline. Well, I think there's three main teams. Okay, give me the top three. Well, the top three in some order would be the Clippers, Lakers, and, and Bucks. Correct, but that's the wrong order. Oh, I didn't say – I said in some order. Oh, all right, all right, all right. So I would say – I would say the Lakers won. Correct. I would say the Clippers two and the Bucks three. Correct and correct. Ah, with the Boston Celtics coming in fourth. Huh? With the Boston Celtics yeah, coming in yeah. fourth. And what are the odds? What are the odds on the top team? Do you, or you don't have the odds? No, you just I have, have them in order. I got the you just have the order. Uh, Lakers are eleven to five, and Clippers are eleven to four, and then the Bucks are three to one. So pretty, all pretty close. Okay. All right around. Okay. Right around three to one. Okay. All right. It's it's not too often that an NBA player gets their jersey hung. To the rafters? Yeah, in honor of them. It's a pretty cool thing, like, wouldn't you say? Sure. Well, James Harden. I've had three of mine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Three different high schools? Yeah. You had some trouble, did you? (laughs) James Harden reportedly blew $1.53 million in one night at a Houston strip club. So the owner is so in love with James Harden because he spends so much money. He hung James Harden's jersey. Yes, you heard me right. $1.53 million at a strip club. Five, three, or three, five? Uh, one so one and a half million, just over one and a half million. He spent in one night. One night. One night. Now don't forget, he makes he's going to make thirty eight million dollars this year. So it's like, eh, you know, to him, but that's a okay, lot of money. Okay, I, I don't get. I don't know that I believe that story. All right. Well, how do you spend one point five million? In fact, let me ask it to you this way. Okay. Well, if James Harden walked <laughs> into that same strip club before yeah. he even sat down, 
before he ordered the first beer or whatever you, I don't know, maybe you can't even order out. I guess you can for $1.5 million. You should be able to get alcohol. Well, let yeah. me ask it to you this way. If before he ordered the first whatever, before he got his first lap dance, yeah. he sat down and he said, could somebody get the owner? And the, uh, yeah, who may say, tell him it's James Harden. I'd like to speak to the owner. And the owner came over and he said, sir, before we even start tonight, my name is James Harden. <laughs> I'd like to offer you $1.53 million for the strip club. <laughs> he may take it. Of course. <laughs> he could have bought the whole thing and then had everything else yeah. for nothing. And owned and had an equity. Had the, had the piece. He doesn't want he to. He could have added it to his portfolio. He doesn't want to do payroll and people skimming from him. And he just wants to go have a good time. So yeah, the, the yeah, guy. It's that- a much better investment <laughs> if you just buy the whole place. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to figure out. Oh, somebody said it on a podcast, one of his friends, or a guy who... I don't who, know that I believe you can Jim, spend. How can you spend? You must add... First of all, you must add 30 pe- 50 people. Of course. It, I right. mean, strip clubs, not my vice necessarily. I got every other vice, but not that one. But yeah. from what I found, it's... You don't usually get good deals on drinks for... You know, a bottle of vodka for the table will probably be $500, you know? It's super expensive. So, okay, you, yeah, but, you can blow through it with 30 people. $1.5 million? Do the math on five. Even if it's $500 a bottle, do the math. Or whatever. But the dances, I mean, I don't know. Champagne, you can't the drinks. Go, no, All no. Right. You can't go through $1.5 million. Unless I get, yeah, I get... I guess if he had a hundred people there, maybe yeah. he had the whole. I maybe he just picked up everything for the one, but his jersey Jesus. is hanging from the rafters. The owners, so can he ask him to take it down? <laughs> yeah, I know it's probably kind of embarrassing. Oh actually, God. yeah, the beard, the oh, whole thing. Jeez, I think he's dating Chloe Kardashian too. I'm not so sure how she. All feels right, I got this. something for you. You Do don't it. care about the PGA Tour starting this week, okay? The return of the PGA Tour. So the first, I would think, major sport. No other major sports have have started. We talked about the NBA. Everybody knows that Major League Baseball is a bunch of nitwits, <sighs> and they're, just, they're just arguing yeah. over how are we going to split the $500 million, and, and it looks like they may not play baseball because they have no sense of what's going on. They have no sense of reality, what's going on right. in the world today, that they can't get together on how they're going to split that money. But the PGA Tour is going to start Great. this week. Uh, you don't care about that. I do. A lot of my golf nerd friends do. They're going to have an event, I think, in Texas. I think at Colonial or one of those places in Texas. But I thought the, the more interesting story was Jack Nicholas. Jack, Jack Nicholas has Jack and Barbara. <laughs> Is that how he their, talks? Yeah. I never Jack heard and it. Barbara have, uh, have, their, have their tournament, a really good tournament, really nice tournament called the Memorial. You would know it. It's in Dublin, Ohio, just outside of Columbus, Ohio. He went to Ohio State. Okay. It's at a really great golf club called Muirfield Village. It's kind of one of the non-majors. It's Jack's tournament. It's a great golf course. It's always got a great, pretty good field. Tigers won it about eight times. Okay, so it's actually on the tour. It's oh, yeah, it's every year. Okay, it's not yeah, like it's called a, the Memorial. Not a charity event or anything. No, no, no. Gotcha. It's, it's okay. a full field an memorial, event. and it's, it's, at a, 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 it's a rock, and it's a great tournament. Okay. It's a great, great tournament every year, just before the U.S. Open. And it's coming around the corner, and Jack, uh, he, wanted, he wanted spectators. See, now, this week, they're starting without spectators. Okay. And Jack wants spectators, of course. Every tournament wants it. And after going through safety precautions and studies, I read that the memorial has been granted the permission to have spectators. So it will be the first spectator wow. sport. I think that we in, in, anywhere in the world. I think I don't know. Maybe there are other. Maybe in in Japan they're having. Well, they're playing baseball. baseball in like South Korea. Yeah, but I don't think they got spectators. I oh, think okay. they got cardboard cutouts of people. Oh yeah, like they, me, had, me, they, yeah, yeah. they had the blow up dolls too. The, <laughs> the real the dolls. dolls. Yeah. But and, and you're going to ask me questions, and I don't I don't have the follow up information. But they have granted Jack 
Jack's tournament yeah. to have spectators. I don't know how many. It won't be as many as normal. Won't be that the was the question. But they're going to have, they say, tracking devices or or little uh, chips. They're going to they're gonna, What? I don't know. No one's getting chipped. They're not going no, to the no, vet. They're not going to gonna implant chipped. chips okay. in your neck like a dog. <laughs> right. They're not going to do that. But apparently there's going to be some sort of a chip or tracking device okay. that somehow the technology they've developed to police how close people get to one another. So if you get too close, you start vibrating. And well, it's like two I, magnets. I hope it doesn't in. go off in like. Well, I hope it does go off in Phil Mickelson's swing. <laughs> right. but I hope it doesn't go off in Tiger's swing or something. But yeah, there's going to be some technology. So it's like a, some chip technology, huh. tracking technology that's going to somehow avoid too many people getting too close together. Don't ask me why. Maybe you're going to have a piece that says, "Don't go to the 16th. You're not allowed to go to the 16th hole because there's already too many people at the 16th hole." Okay. I, I can't answer the follow-up questions, right. but I thought it was interesting to note: yeah. A, Jack is going to have fans, and B, the reason they're going to have fans is they've developed this chip tracing technology that they're going to somehow monitor every person in attendance. In Dublin, Ohio. I picture like a, a what's it called when you're uh, you have to stay at home when you, um, house arrest. Yeah. The little bracelet around your ankle. Yeah, or a little ankle bracelet. Yeah. I wonder if it's something sort of like that. Yeah, like this one that I have on now. Oh, I was gonna say you probably have one laying around. You can lend those guys. <laughs> you may you have know, one. You know, if I if I needed one, they wouldn't make me wear one. Be like he doesn't go out anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> We've looked at the last three years yeah. of your GPS and yeah. you've gone out four times, so we're not worried about you. Well, that's uh, great. No, I think it's cool for people who are into golf. Great. I, I love life getting back I really to life. I want to get chipped, though. I don't want to have them put something in my neck. <laughs> right in the neck. Like the running man or something. All right. Are you ready for the, the most sent? I don't even know how to say it correctly. This story has been sent to me by more people since I've been on the podcast. What? This story that I'm about to do. Has been sent to you. By listeners of the podcast. To the, say, hey, Scott, you gotta, you've got to bring this up to Mitch. If this doesn't make the last... So how many... You make it sound like thousands of people have contacted you. Like three, three poured in. Well, it wasn't what? thousands, but no, it was like I don't know, five or six or seven. Really? Yeah, I, I do love that people are thinking about the uh, other stuff segment oh, as they go through their life. Oh, you're, oh, are we going there? Are we going there? Is this the part of the show where we're going there? When I read you this headline, oh no, you're going to think. Do I need to bolt down the doors? You're going. Yeah, makes sense. You're going to think that a team of four writers from Saturday Night Live came up with this headline. You're not going to believe that it's true. Are you ready for this? No. <laughs> Spanish porn star. Oh, God. Nacho Vidal. Who? I love his work. Who likes to advertise his aromatic candles shaped like male genitalia on Twitter. That's just a little aside. Yeah. He was arrested on manslaughter charges oh, following Jesus. a man's death during a mystical ritual in which he inhaled psychedelic toad venom. Okay, I, I don't even know where to go. <laughs> Can you believe that that's a real headline? That's, that's the headline? Yeah, that's that a pretty long headline. Yeah, well, I think the part about his... I thought you were going to tell me he broke into the house of a guy <laughs> with a broomstick. <laughs> the, the guy came willingly And then he realized time. that the guy was the wrong guy. We're laughing. A, a guy is dead, but I mean, that is headline... This, a true, this is like a true story. True story. So he was detained so, last... Okay, let's break it down. A Spanish yep. porn star... Nacho Vidal. I don't need to know names. Well, I like his name. Sounds yes. like a chip, Nacho Vidal. Yeah, it does. Okay, he did what? He's known for what? Well, he's known for selling his aromatic candles shaped like male genitalia on Twitter, to start with. Just in case you weren't sure which Nacho Vidal really I was talking candles. about. Really sell candles. Yeah, he sells candles that so are shaped. look like penises. Like his, I think, yeah. Or, or like his. I would assume. Okay. I would sell someone else's. Yeah. I'm, I'm, he's a porn star. You know, he's into that. Right. So he was arrested on manslaughter charges following a man's death during a mystic ritual 
in which the man inhaled psychedelic toad venom. So this has nothing to do with the, the, the candlesticks. No, that was I'm just, trying to break this down and understand where I am. Well, the I candle am. part was just an aside that somebody okay. added to the headline, okay. probably to make it a little funnier. So he and a guy got together. I think it was a, a, a party. Like a seance? No, not, not a seance. It was a party where, so there's this toad. It's a rare species that lives oh. in the Sonoran Desert. And they say that um, if it secretes venom containing a very powerful natural psychedelic substance. Oh. Sort of like ayahuasca. I don't know if you ever heard of ayahuasca. No, it's it's no. a psychedelic. No. So people. I don't even know what a psychedelic is. Okay. Well, it kind of makes you. Like hall- a mushroom? Yeah. It makes you hallucinate it. Broad- I don't like mushrooms. Broaden. Broad- yeah, that's true. <laughs> Broadens your mind, man. The best music came out of that, that whole era. Okay. So, yeah. So people get these toads. They, they try to like lick them or whatever you do to, to get the secretion. And then you get high, essentially. They and lick the toads. I, I don't know how else you would get this. I assume. And a guy died. And a guy died doing it. So it was, it was like so it's poisonous. on him. So it's yeah, on him he because was, he, he didn't make the guy do it, though, did he? No, but he was detained last week in southeastern Valencia um, in connection with the guy's death but last July. So he so was going to jail. If he fa- found guilty, he's going to jail for this. Oh, uh, yeah. Can you make the candles in jail? For, man, for manslaughter, yeah. You might want to something play those candles me, close to the vest. Some, <laughs> something tells me he'll be making candles of other penises. Yeah, that's right. I would say so, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, craziest headline you could All ever, right. ever write or read. All right. All right. I hope you enjoyed uh, Greg Thor Godar, 73 years old, who was attacked by a 450-pound grizzly bear. Jack Sigma, our friend, Sonic's legend, Hall of Famer Jack Sigma, And we really appreciate retired local police officer David Crocker for his perspective, whether you like it or not. The police angle to all of this, not all police have gone, have gone wrong. Episode 95, I'm assuming we're not going episode Tastes Great, Less Filling. I... Well, I mean, I'm not love going him episode for... Bubba Smith. All right, all right. I do love him though. Big part of my childhood with the commercials and the, the police, police academy. academy yeah. yeah. I mean, it's got to be Richard Dent was yeah. just an absolute beast. Yeah, the he whole was. team. He had 17 sacks on a team that had. Well, I don't. Did the fridge start? I think he started at some point. I think he was a rotational player. Okay, but Dan Hampton was really good. Yes, he was. So there's there's not many sacks. Who else can to you get. can you name from that? Team? Singletary. Singletary. McMichael. McMichael, uh, Gary Fensick. Gary Fensick out at the safety position. Yeah. How about the great linebacker? They had a great linebacker. Wilbur Marshall, oh, was Wilbur he not Marshall. on the team? I think he was, yeah. He was on, Wil- I think he was part of that, that Bears, yeah, that Bears defense. Was great. They and Dewerson. Uh, Dave Dewerson. I, th- I think that they, they were really, re- they were all time and against 30 of the 31 other teams. They <laughs> could. You uh, You'll have that straw 30, in your hat your whole life, won't you? Against 30 of the 31 <laughs> other teams, they were just devastating. Yeah. No one could even get a first down against them. Now, there was one team that diced them up pretty good. <laughs> they really did. They really did. They diced them up. I went back and watched it. They really did. Marino, Nat Moore, touchdown, Dolphins. Nat Moore was everywhere. Marino. Tony Nathan. T- Clayton's got it. Yep. Touchdown, Miami Dolphins. Yep. Lorenzo Hampton, oh, Tony God. Nathan at like 40. 22, Alabama. 30? No, whoever number 30 was. There was a number 30 running back. On the, on the Dolphins? Yeah. 30? Davenport, maybe. Oh, sure. Yeah, sure. see, I told you. I just watched that sure. game. Sure. Is it Ron Davenport? Ron Davenport. There you go. I didn't see? even know he was on that team. <laughs> yeah, Lorenzo Hampton. Hell yeah. Tony Nathan out of the backfield, 22. Oh, reliable out of Alabama. Right. He was kind of yeah. old then. Yeah. Well, he's kind of old now. <laughs> yeah. Well, he might be dead now. Tony Nathan die? I don't know. I don't remember hearing that. I thought that. Tony Nathan recently was like a bailiff. Oh, really? I think in his after football days, Tony Nathan, the running back out of the University of Alabama, played for the Dolphins, I think became a bailiff in a, in a court 
where the judge was also a former Dolphin. I think a former Dolphin became a judge. You can look me up on this. A former Dolphin became a judge. Okay. And he hired Tony Nathan to be his bailiff. Am I wrong about that? Tony Nathan is still alive, 63 years old. He is currently the bailiff (laughs) for former teammate judge Edward Newman in Uh, Miami. Newman. Sure. You familiar with that? Sure. Newman? Come on, really? Of course. <laughs> All right. Offensive lineman, Ed and, Newman, I believe. In yeah. the Miami-Dade County Court. So there, there you go. go. Fulfilling a promise there he made go. to Bear Bryant in 79, he returned to finish his degree at Alabama in 2015. You do realize as we finish up we finish up episode Richard Dent. Yes. That somebody, at least one person in our audience, okay. listened to that whole, whatever, two, two and a half hours, however long it was, and got nothing out of it, and then went, oh. But I got that Tony Nathan is a bailiff. <laughs> That's right. Finally. Finally, it paid off. <laughs> That's right. My two and a half hours listening to that Fakakta episode, <laughs> yeah. Richard Dent. Right. Finally paid off when I when I realized that Tony Nathan is a bailiff in Miami-Dade County. Or well, Dade-Broward Dade, County. Dade, uh, Miami-Dade County. Miami-Dade County. I feel like everything bad always happens in Dade County, Florida. Dade County, Florida. <laughs> when you watch like Nightline or you know, those to catch a predator. Yeah. Dade County, those Florida. Those police ones. Broward County, it's Florida. Always Broward County, Florida. Yeah, always. Or the police ones. Cops or yeah, cops. Cops, yeah. Cops, Broward County. <laughs> always Broward <laughs> County. Always. I'm, I've never been to Florida, and I've heard uh, of Broward uh, County. Why is that? Because right, of cops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I got a mom who lives in Broward County. Is that, uh, is that right? Sure is she does. a troublemaker? <laughs> she was on the last episode of Cops. Right. She was in the back of the car. I knew it. That's it, Richard Dent. Yes, yes sir. Enough. Yep. Enough's enough. Episode Richard Dent. Tastes great or less filling? Which one do you like better? Well, Miller Lite. Does it taste great or is it less filling? Which one is the better? Well, less filling, of yeah. course. Yeah. Yeah, less filling. <laughs> I mean, that's what I look for in a light beer. Look at me. Epi- episode uh, Tony Nath. Episode Richard Dent. <laughs> you is wish. It